We know of new methods of attack. The Trojan Horse. Greetings and welcome back to another exciting installment of the Fifth Column Podcast. This is your weekly rhetorical assault on the news cycle people that make it and occasionally ourselves. I am Camille Foster. I I am I am high on Adderall. Yeah. Lots and lots of Adderall. <laughs> You're gonna say high on life. And also high on life <laughs> and in New York City. And I'm do What's various up? things at Freethink and I'm delighted to be here and I am joined in New York City. In by New York Matt City. Welch, Reason Magazine. Greatest city in the world. Michael Moynihan, yeah. Vice News, gentlemen. What's up? It, wow. How y'all doing? Yeah, I'm, you know, milligram check, milligrams check, real quick. I'm, got nothing. I'm fine. Really? Yeah, I'm fine. Well, cocaine doesn't come in milligrams. <laughs> <laughs> just get it, and you test it for fentanyl now. I have a prescription for Adderall. I'm yeah. not stealing it from school children. Yeah, yeah. Like public school teachers, as I was. Told. Well, you can't. You, it's very hard to get in New York. Um, I don't know the laws are in the rest of the country. But uh, you can't get refills on it, which makes life very difficult. Yeah. Can you yeah. go to one of those safe injection sites and get some Adderall? I, I'm yeah. sure. Yeah, I'm sure you can. Like in, in the Tenderloin or down in... Uh, yeah, no, this is New York. We don't have the Tenderloin. Right. <laughs> we don't... Like, the places we have are, are, are shitty, but not that shitty. Come yeah. on. Let's be honest. We don't have Chesa Boudin, who's, like, such a, oh, such a hero... He's a real, you know, it's funny because people are talking about, well, you know, here's the thing. If you look at the crime stats, when you actually look at them, here's what's, crime's actually not, and then I stop and be like, here's the actual reason to recall Jason Putin. <laughs> He's the really, really, really bad ideas. And his four <laughs> parents were all terrorists. So weirdly, he has bad ideas. Four terrorist parents. So we're just going to get right into this? Is that what we're going to yeah, do? Yeah, I'm just going to say all of his parents were terrorists. Most, <laughs> most of us have two. Some of us have one. That's fine. Some of us has two mommies and two daddies. That's also fine. Yeah. He's got four, and they're all fucking terrorists. That's actually Isn't that I mean, weird. That's not, you're not doing that's well. crazy. Like, it, it almost seems like something is wrong with you. Yeah, you like four parents, I, and they're all terrorists. Yeah, if I, um, my parents were part of a crew that killed the first black cop and the Nyack Police Force, Waverly Brown. Jeez. If I was that person, right, I'd be like, oh man, that was yeah, that. And I, the white members of the like what Black Gorilla Army, I think they were called Black yes. Gorilla Family, one of the two. And Black uh, Gorilla Family, yeah, yeah, Black Gorilla Family. And then I would be like, you know what? Let's just send them to some like Catholics or something. <laughs> Not be like, okay, where are other two terrorists yeah. that have been on the run? Let's give them to them. And then he wrote a book, by the way, about Latin America, which was like, I love Hugo Chavez. Like, dude, you have really fucking bad ideas. <laughs> That's why so you're going to be bad. recalled. Well, this so we should give a little bit of context. It's Tuesday night. We're recording. California is holding their recall election in San Francisco. Also, L.A. mayoral race is taking place right now. At least yeah. this is this is the first race. No one's going to get 50%. There's going to be a two-person runoff. Gubernatorial primary as well. So Gubernatorial primary as well. That's we'll right. We'll see if uh, San Francisco uh, himself gets in second place or is bounced. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Gavin, yeah, Gavin Newsom and Michael Schellenberger. Are F- fingers crossed. I mean, I, I like Michael. He's a he's a good guy. He's had me over to his house for for meals in the past. Um, With the, how were the meals? Would how'd you characterize them? It was a good meal. Them? Yeah, and it was a good it was good company. And he's okay. a, again, he's a he's a nice guy. I think I still want to talk to him about his ideas, regardless of what happens with the with the. Yeah, but if he loses, race. he becomes no. A bit less I think he frankly. I think he will know certain things and will have learned some things, okay. and there it was there'll still be a good reason to talk to him. But we should talk a little bit about the Chester thing, although we don't know what the what the outcome of this race is yet. Everyone suspects he's going to lose miserably because the polling has been very bad. I, I'm sure you guys have looked at this a little bit. I lived in the Bay Area for for a little over a year, as most of you listeners know. Um, and while I was living there, there was obviously a great deal of consternation. As you mentioned, Moynihan, mm. crime rate is not overall up in the sense that there are certain categories of crime that are, are not actually increasing in San Francisco, but certain kinds of property crime, 
like, I don't know, like fucking break-ins in your house. Yeah. Like that sort of thing is up. And it's up enough that it's caused a great deal of consternation for San Franciscans. It's not clear what, if any, impact Chess's policies have had on the uptick in crime. But what is very clear is that, is that he's kind of a shitty politician. He's at odds with the mayor of the city um, and has been unwilling to respond to her policy demands for like tough on crime, more tough on crime policies. He talks about policy issues all the time that he effectively in his role as district attorney cannot impact. So he talks about the need for more social spending to address crime. He's like, well, dude, that's not yeah. your job. Yeah. And he's completely alienated law enforcement. So he's just a shitty politician at a minimum because San Franciscans are concerned about crime and they're concerned and about <laughs> the, the actual increases in crime that they can in fact see and the, and the weird kind of lawless climate that seems to be pervading yes. the entire city. And to the extent you don't have answers for that and you're the DA, yeah. you're probably not going to stay in your and job. And by the way, is it worth again, <laughs> is it worth again uh, pointing out that the DA who uh, prosecutes to- uh, crime has uh, four parents who are all criminals? <laughs> is that maybe? Is point. Is Nor, that maybe Nor McDonald over here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, the problem is that they're all criminals. Yeah, you got that. That's a problem. You got to see that. Uh, that Almost, think- uh, by the way, in, in crime, I just looked up the numbers here. Um, we talk about crime and everything. This is the one thing when you think about in San Francisco is, I mean, we've had crews um, vans that have been robbed with gear and stuff in San Francisco. <laughs> Never. You mean vice? Vice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and um, I'm looking. I'm looking. Um, <laughs> I'm looking at these numbers. Just like, nobody gonna try to rob our crews. Our crews are well armed. Yeah, we got not our stuff. No, eighteen-year-olds with AR-15s. Yeah, we shoot motherfuckers. <laughs> um, so uh, the sfgov.org uh, has these charts, and you look at uh, the homeless population of San Francisco, and this is what you think of when you think of San Francisco, like this enormous problem of homelessness. Mm-hmm. It has um, pretty much doubled uh, since 2005, and uh, it is its highest point. Is was 2019 the last recorded time? So 6,800 huh, odd. Now 8,000. Who was the mayor in 2005? Just trying to, trying to remember. The best mayor who in the history. Of, who was that? Uh, the answer is, is Gavin Newsom. And and uh, yeah. when when he came in at that time, he was like, "I am going to solve. I am. The I am married to Donald Trump Jr.'s wife. <laughs> I'm going to solve the homelessness true, true uh, uh, problem because we're going to have just like you know turnkey." one-stop shopping, yeah. everything in, in a single place. There was a piece by Ross Barkin in, I believe, New York Magazine a couple of days ago that I saw making the rounds in which he was saying, and he was trying to, basically the, the thesis of the piece in the subhead was um, the if San-Francisco was as liberal as its critics suggest, mm-hmm. then Chase Boudin wouldn't be recalled, mm-hmm. which if you wrap your head around it doesn't really make any sense yeah, at all that's true um it's also n- not true and uh, but he was uh, pulling out stats like well actually from 19 in this classic like a <laughs> new yorker writing about california which always fails uh from 1912 to 1963 san francisco was run exclusively by republican mayors mm-hmm. yeah like, very relevant yeah dude um check out the history of california where where does I don't know where did Ronald Reagan where where was he like the governor where was Richard Nixon come from and Herbert Hoover motherfucker it was a Republican state it just was for a really long time also that little time span it ended in 1963 mm. 
Um, and they're, you know, they quoting, quoting a, a, a political science professor who said, well, like, really, if you look at it, only about seven years have been governed by progressive values in San Francisco. Oh, that it's was like, the uh, Justin Miller piece. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I, I know Justin very well and I like him a lot and uh, I couldn't disagree with that anymore. But um, I just want to mention something quickly of um, a piece that was it's in the OC register and um, the Daily News, I guess, the Los Angeles uh, Daily News, which is the very much the second tier uh, paper. But it's in a bunch of things. And it's a piece uh, by Fiona Dorif. And Fiona Dorif is an actress. Um, and uh, she her father is the first line in the piece. And I give it away is uh, in 1975. My father appeared as Billy Bibbit. In the film oh. *The Cuckoo's Nest*, yeah, her dad was Billy Bibbit, a uh, great actor, and and she's um, enormously talented too, and is taking her talents uh, in a different direction now. We're openly advocating for Michael Schellenberger because her her mother suffered suffered from very very serious mental illness, and as did I think Michael. I think she mentions that Michael Schellenberger's mother uh, was uh, schizophrenic, and says he's the only one who is actually approaching this serious issue with a serious plan. Mm. And so read her piece. It's really interesting. It's about her, um, her own background, um, and she's a great actress and, uh, and uh, a, smart, a smart person, too. So it's in the OC register. is the easiest place to find it. California's failed the homeless and the mentally ill. It's time for change, and she thinks uh, Michael is the person to deliver that change. So uh, just worth pointing that out. Multiple connections uh, to One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. My mom, it was filmed at the hospital that she worked at in Salem, Oregon. Yeah. Um, at some point where she had to do a, a, a mental hospital. Um, and, and Nancy Rollman's father-in-law. And Nancy Rollman's father-in-law is the chief. chief. Played chief. Yeah. Uh, who, it, just absolutely amazing. And Nancy's daughter, Tav, uh, who's in that uh, Reservation Dogs, they had her fill in uh, as an actress. And afterwards, they had uh, Tav uh, like, uh, shoot a basket like the chief did yeah, yeah, yeah. in, in homage, <laughs> right. which, is, uh, which is super beautiful. <laughs> Nancy, Nancy's yeah. on the ground in San Francisco and has already written two really great things on her substack, I believe, and will be covering this and is worth checking out. I think, I think the long and the short of it is that Chase Boudin is being blamed for a lot of things, right. um, uh, some of which are in his purview, some of which are not. Um, and, uh, and, and also there's, you know, more spring to people's step in recalling after the San Francisco Unified School District recall in which three, uh, uh, board members were bounced by an average of like 50 percentage points a few months back. And it showed people and by people, I mean a lot of Chinese American immigrants really, Mm -hmm. um, that they had political power and that they could just say, Hey, no, this, this place is being misgoverned in a lot of different ways. And so it's an expression of misgovernance. As a Californian, I love the recall mechanism so very much because it's just a way to say, um, regardless of how we got here, I think you're failing. I want to fire you. It's a very pure expression. I think it's something great. Something about that feels right. Uh, something feels right. Yeah. I, I wish we had that in other places that I live. We can, There's not a lot we can say more. I mean, a lot of our listeners know the background to what's going on in, in the uh, Boudin recall and all the disaster that is, uh, in, has been um, uh, inflicting California for a number, a number of years. Um, so it will be in our next one, I guess, where we actually address the results of this. Yeah. In the meantime, though, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> every time I open my fucking uh, text messages, I get one from one of YouTube bozos about some <laughs> free speech disaster. Uh, which is our old uh, colleague, uh, Dave Waggle, former guest on the fifth column, Dave Waggle, yep. who has been, um, what, uh, suspended, suspended for, for a month, month without pay. Without pay. For a 
sexist retweet, as, yeah. as CNN called it. Yeah, I thought that. Sexist yeah, that was like a Spinal Tap moment. I was like, "What's wrong with a sexy retweet?" <laughs> no, it's sexist. Like, I don't. I don't understand. Actually. Um, so yeah, he was. He he got uh, uh, canned for a month. For a month at the. I mean, this is the second time Dave Weigel's been suspended from the Washington Post. Just for the record. I mean, that, he was actually right? he was, was actually time? fired before. Fired the journalist. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. right. Yeah. And they hired him as the conservative. Yeah. And then they and he was like, yeah, hey, that'll never happen again. Maybe I'll just become a liberal. <laughs> <laughs> it's easier. He thought. Yeah. And uh, then uh, they have the knives out for you, too. So. Uh, which we're going to get to. And uh, and also this comes like it's amazing that he's the one who gets suspended for a month in the same like era that Taylor, like the same weekend, basically, that Taylor Lorenz is caught lying. Um, the tech oh, that she had, that she had contacted people. She contacted some influencers on TikTok about their Johnny Depp things, and they're like, "No, she totally didn't." Contact, and they've corrected the story three different times. Three different stealth, times. Yeah. stealth edits, though. Yeah. Stealth edits. Well, they did. They did have. <laughs> they did put an addendum in the column, which was like, uh, "Attention, uh, anybody who reads this, because no one is actually reading this." And that has changed three times. Uh oh. Right. Oh like, no. Is that oh, Ilya no. Shapiro? <laughs> well, we we do. Um, this is this has been an interesting night. It's late, um, and he's been busy. We have a guest. He's eating. He, he was. Look, I think he was eating, eating noodles. Eating, he's drinking. He, yeah, yeah. He just did Tucker Carlson show. Apparently, he decided to do oh. a hit on something called Newsmax. Um, and yeah. now he's here with us. This week, he's been written up in... He, he decided to go a little more mainstream. <laughs> he's kind of he's appeared in the New York Times this week. Yeah. Like he's had multiple columns in the Wall Street Journal by himself. Smilking the shit, isn't he? One in which Elia was talking about his cancel culture ordeal being over. That was yeah. last Friday. Yes. Um, but he didn't know how over it was because <laughs> by Monday... Ilya Shapiro was um, informing us that his cancel culture ideal ordeal was over because he was actually quitting the job that he thought he was going to accept. Yes. Ilya, this is all very confusing. So confusing. <laughs> Can you help put this yeah, into I some mean, context? I mean, let alone to me, I'm listeners. just a simple constitutional lawyer. Yeah. Um, what yeah. the what the hell is going on here? How how do you explain this to people, Ilya? Right. Right. So. Um, <laughs> Pretend we're a college They had this student. sham investigation into my so-called offensive tweet. Uh, it was a, took, four, took them four months, and eventually the resolution was, oh, we didn't realize you were not an employee when you tweeted, uh, and so the policies we're uh, investigating you under uh, didn't apply to you. It took, you know, many high-powered lawyers at Wilmer These Hale are law professors? <laughs> so, so let's Indeed. I mean, they're paying, like, you know, top, top bucks to Wilmer Hale. That's like a large, expensive law firm to, like, give them advice on this. And I guess nobody looked at the, uh, at the calendar throughout this whole period. So I had, I had four days of hell, followed by four months of purgatory, at the end of which was this uh, slap with a wet noodle, basically saying, yeah, you can come work for us, but... Uh, as it turns out, uh, when I read the fine print, uh, that made the situation untenable. It was, um, you know, I, I wrote in the Wall Street Journal on Thursday. I don't know if this is a land speed record, but I had, you know, a piece in the journal on Thursday, another one on Monday. Uh, you know, Paul Jagot is fantastic. I, you know, I didn't think they'd do it. But uh, uh, in the meantime, I consulted with my lawyer. I consulted with uh, Randy Barnett, my boss, the, the founder of the Center for the Constitution, who I was going to be working for. Uh, I consulted my wife, who's a better lawyer than any of us uh, combined. And uh, the conclusion is, based on the terms of this report uh, from the investigation that the diversocrats gave me, uh, there was no way I could fulfill the duties of my job, basically. Anytime any snowflake uh, was offended by anything I said or wrote, 
um, that was grounds for termination. It would, would have created a, a, a hostile educational environment, a heckler's veto uh, in other terms. And so I have made my noisy, my noisy resignation, this four-page letter that I slaved over uh, over the weekend. Um, and, and here we are. And I've been doing media nonstop, trying to use this moment, my platform, my opportunity uh, to talk about the rot in academia uh, and, uh, you know, far beyond cancel culture, just this illiberal wind where uh, everyone paints their political enemies as not just wrong, but evil, uh, doesn't tolerate dissent. Um, and certainly as far as academia goes, is, is not uh, for the basic educational mission of seeking the truth uh, and engaging in, in civil discourse of, of ideas. This is a very interesting uh, drama that's played out here. Now, when, when did this first happen? Was this February when this scandal broke? It was January 26th um, okay. when uh, Justice Breyer's, uh, the news of Justice Breyer's retirement was leaked. It wasn't him. Someone in the White House uh, wanted to make it solid that he was going so they could do their do what they wanted to do. Uh, and uh, I was on a plane to Austin, Texas, when the news dropped. I landed. My phone was blown up. I gave some media statements uh, doing that sort of thing. I was still at Cato at the time. I had accepted a job five days earlier with Georgetown to be to run the Center for the Constitution um, uh, due to start February 1st and throughout the day. So I was doing media. I was thinking about this stuff. I, of course, had written a book, Supreme Disorder, Judicial Nominations and the Politics of America's highest court coming out in paperback July 5th. Everyone come get it. The, uh, the hardcover is cheap now since the paperback is coming out. Uh, and so I'm an expert on this stuff, this Supreme Court stuff, the nomination politics stuff. Uh, and I was in Austin. I, I attended a friend's uh, a, a dinner celebrating his new job and stuff. Went back to my hotel room, engaged in some doom scrolling. Very, very bad practice, not a best practice. Uh, and got more and more upset about President Biden's decision to restrict his pool of candidates by race and sex uh, and said so uh, in in phrasing that I that uh, later I would regret. Uh, but the meaning was clear that, uh, you know, ironically, I would get criticized and hauled before the star chamber uh, called a racist for saying that people shouldn't be judged based on race. Um, and away we went. It was, as I said, four days of hell, January 26th. Uh, Camille, you were very helpful. I have to give you credit here and elsewhere. Um, navigating the shoals of various things. And obviously, I, I knew FIRE very well, uh, the Foundation for Individual Rights and Expression now. They just changed yes. this week. Yes. Fantastic organization, my new favorite organization. Camille's on the – you're on the board, I right? I am, yeah, on the, on the, big, yeah. the big board. No yeah. longer just the anyway, advisory they, board. They, they, they were very helpful with crisis management, PR, funding my lawyer from their academic freedom fund, oh. and, and away we went. So it was four days of this just the sheer hell – a uh, very terrible period for me and my family. And then the dean declared that I would be onboarded indeed uh, February 1st and immediately suspended with pay pending this uh, investigation. Read your tweet out, out loud or from memory as, as what you said. Like, uh, shock us with your offensiveness. It's, <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm reading now. I'm reading the tweet now from uh, Eugene Volokh of the Volokh the UCLA law professor who did, did an analysis of the whole IDEA report. Uh, called uh, What Are Georgetown Professors Forbidden to Say? But anyway, at the top of it, he conveniently quotes this tweet. Here's what I said. Objectively best pick for Biden is Sri Srinivasan. Uh, he's the uh, chief judge of the D.C. Circuit, who is solid prog, meaning progressive, obviously, 
And V smart, that means very smart. You can tell already that I'm limited by number of he's characters. Wasted. Have on yeah, he's just, that's what it works. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, even has identity politics, uh, even has identity politics benefit of being first Asian, parentheses, Indian American. But alas, doesn't fit into the latest intersectionality hierarchy. So we'll get lesser black woman. Those three words were the focus of the investigation, the focus of the firestorm. And then I add, uh, thank heaven for small favors. Um, so that's 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 what I that's what I tweeted. That was the uh, the, the the tempest uh, in the Twitter pot that, that, that drove this whole thing with people taking uh, in bad faith, twisting it into meaning, including the dean that I was saying that no black woman could ever be qualified for the Supreme Court um, rather than my simple meaning that, you know, I, I chose a particular candidate were I Joe Biden, were I Democratic president, uh, meaning everyone else was lesser. Yes, less this person is the objectively choice. best candidate, which means anyone else is, is going to be less good mm-hmm. than this, this person. Exactly. Right. You, did, you apologized for that tweet at some point, though, didn't you? I did. So when almost, I was you know, almost right away, I right? fired that off and I, then I went to bed. Again, terrible practice. Fire off Never a snarky tweet. Go, go to bed. <laughs> this thing um, Everything blew about up. this is, is the wrong way of doing it. <laughs> <laughs> it blew up overnight. I woke up. I looked at my I looked at my phone. And since I've listened to this podcast uh, many times before, I can say, holy shit, this yeah. was uh, stupid. Uh, people are taking this the wrong way. This is uh, this is fucked up. I'm going to I'm mm-hmm. going to fix it. And I, I deleted it. And uh, I said, look, uh, this was an artful. I apologize. You know, uh, I, I meant no offense. Um, I'm, I'm taking it down. Yeah. Do but you, the damage had been done because my ideological political enemies led by Mark Joseph Stern of Slate. If you could insert some side effect there. Uh, uh, some, some, here's some the side effect. He's a nefarious. dick. He yeah. is a dick. Go ahead. No, um, no comment. No comment. I don't pay attention. Drove, you know, screen capped and drove uh, the mob and and away we went. And, and, you know, a couple hours later, the dean issued a statement calling my comments appalling. Mm-hmm. And um, but did you a quick thing? Did you apologize because you said, you know, in retrospect, that was an infelicitous uh, tweet and, and framing and or were you just trying to kind of make it go away? No, I mean, it was a failure of communication. I freely realized that, you know, I, I, I make a living, uh, as, as all of you do, speaking and writing. And um, that was not the best way to, to present my argument, which at the end of the day, the underlying point is supported by 76% of Americans, according to that right-wing organization, ABC News, mm-hmm. um, that, that Biden should have considered all candidates, not just uh, those limited by, by race and sex to black women. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and that was my point. And I, and I undermined it by uh, uh, by tweeting, uh, you know, w- w- what I did, which allowed my enemies to twist it willfully into making it some sort of bigoted statement. And and ironically, it's it's they who propagated it and, you know, fomented the uh, manufactured the, the the outrage uh, about all this, the, the, the so-called harm that the Georgetown community felt was propagated not by me because I deleted it as soon as I could, but by all of these other, um, you know, outrage merchants. Um, but it was too late by the time all of this happened. And, and the thing is, it's, you know, I don't care about Twitter mobs. Um, you know, that's not the real world, but it, 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 it jumped uh, from social mm-hmm. media to the real world, to the dean caring about it, to a thousand people signing the Black Lawsuit Association letter condemning me. I mean, there was pressure on the other side as well. And it became a big thing. 
I mean, it's kind of silly. It's a tweet. It's a, you know, a, a poorly phrased tweet. Uh, who among us has not done that? But um, that's that's where I was, and that's what ended up with four months of investigation clearing me only on the technicality that I wasn't an employee when I tweeted. Ilya, you remember uh, when we talked the morning that this went wide? I was on the West Coast at the time, so I got up you know, a couple hours after you guys. Actually, I used to get up pretty early. In, in either case, I find <laughs> out, and this thing is full-blown. It is You're pregnant yeah. with this thing. And I get you on the phone. And do you remember the first thing you said to me when I asked you, like, how you doing? How you holding up? I'm not a racist. <laughs> that was it. Did I, did I say like like what the fuck help me like what, what did I say? Um, I believe your exact words were Camille. I think I just ruined my life. That's very well. That 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 I'm sure that's right. I, yeah. I w- what was going through my head were a million things. Like, you know, I I uh, did I blow up my my life, my career. What am I doing with my family? How can I support them? I mean, it was really existential. That was the second worst day of my life. Yeah. Um, after the day my mom passed, I, it was just horrible. I wouldn't wish it on anyone other than Mark Joseph Stern, who instigated <laughs> the, the Twitter mom. And I mean, the things that were being said about you at the time just were 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 awful. It was the worst imaginable interpretation of what you'd posted. And I remember coming to your defense like publicly on Twitter and explaining what what seemed like palpably obvious to any sane person that there's only one way to interpret this. There's no reason to presume that Elia actually believes that black women are generally inferior and not suitable for the Supreme Court. The definite <laughs> interpretation that makes sense is that the president of the United States decided that you had to have genitalia of this particular shape and color in order to be considered as a pick for the Supreme Court by him. Yes. I mean, I mean it's an odd thing, especially that you hadn't expressed these uh, feelings previously, that you didn't have a long record of saying, you know, I, I ideologically have always thought that black women were lesser, and I just decided to, to, uh, to unleash this. Now, do you think that people actually misunderstood that, or do you think that everyone actually did understand what you meant, and they saw you as an ideological opponent, and this was an easy way of taking you down? I mean, eventually down the line, some people I'm sure thought it who didn't give it much thought to it. But those who were instigating the mob, those who were, you know, the thought leaders on the on the left, the the activists, uh, they saw this as an opportunity uh, to take me down because I'm a prominent voice in legal policy circles, in constitutional circles, in Supreme Court commentary circles. And, uh, oh, look, he slipped up. We can use this. We can exploit this. We can manufacture um um outrage uh while feigning um reasonableness i mean that's there's no other way to interpret it i want to get a quick reaction uh from you on something when we were trying to figure out our audio issues which we had uh prior to you coming on uh we've had a lot of those recently uh i just opened twitter as we were kind of sitting here doing nothing and the first thing that came up uh this was tweeted i think you know 35 minutes ago or something was from ken white uh the uh legal uh, eagle, uh, I think ex-libertarian probably at this point, a uh, guy on Twitter who said, screen capped, you said you were going on Tucker Carlson and said, huh, weird. And then followed up by referring to you as a right-wing hack slash victim slash grifter. And a lot of people pile on on that. I mean, 
how do you respond to people who not only take what you your tweet in what I would I think reasonably call bad faith, but then say this is all part of some larger grifter thing that you've been you've been a part of for some time. I mean, I find it very odd that it has thirteen hundred likes in a very short period of time, calling you a right wing hack victim and grifter. How do you respond to uh, Ken White on that? Um, I mean, I don't know how much you need to monetize to be able to be a grifter. I mean, I found a new job. <laughs> I announced my new job at the Manhattan Institute. I'm going to be their new director of constitutional studies. I announced that on on Tucker Carlson, as, as one does. Um, I'm not sure whether, you know, to, to manufacture, to, to strategize this whole thing <laughs> from the beginning. Uh, I mean, I must be a huge mastermind, you know, to leave Cato, orchestrate this new job at Georgetown, yeah. find a way to tweet uh, offensively, but not too offensively, just ambiguously, and get suspended <laughs> and not fired, and have the thing drag on, and, uh, you know, all of this stuff. I mean, good Lord, if, if <laughs> it, it seems like if, if I were a grifter, there would be an easier way to get to this point. But Yeah, it's, uh, it's kind of an elaborate Because you've never been on TV before this, right, Elliot? I mean, it's not as though you you, you didn't have a prominent perch that you could write from. You you had this this job lined well, up. Well, Camille, you didn't know this tweet because you've been blocked by Ken White. So, <laughs> so, Matt, I don't know. Are you in the blocked category or Actually, not? I'm right yeah. now on Twitter. I'm apparently in, like, I have 11 hours left in my Twitter, like, partial lock because... I got a death threat today and it was someone who either didn't use a burner account or used, you know, created a burner account that looked like a real account. So I posted the the threat with their actual Gmail email address and Twitter, uh, you know, suspended me or put oh, me in minor. I, wait, I'm sorry. For, you were sus- you were put on probation, I guess is probably the from Twitter for, for posting a death threat with this the person's like information. Hours, this is like two hours ago. Yeah. Huh. So you were violating their privacy by posting <laughs> their death threat on Twitter. Man, Man. Yeah. Elon yeah. Musk, if, he, if this deal goes through, he's got a lot of work cut out for him. Doesn't he? I mean, was look, it, I'm putting Manhattan Institute on notice right now. I, I, I put in my bullet posts to Elon. So if he wants to, you know, double my, my, my MI salary to go work for him and be their, yeah. their uh, First Amendment enforcer, I'm happy. In fact, you know, their, their current... Uh, you know, content moderator, whatever, make something like $17 million or something. I, you know, I'm willing to do really? that job for, for 15. Absolutely. Dude, I, I'll fucking ban you for like 20 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> Just give me an afternoon. I'll be cool with that. Do you, looking back right now and how it all played out, do you regret apologizing? Um, so I've come to understand that each situation is different and generally apologizing is a bad idea. In my particular case, given what I understand about faculty politics and the dean and the way that the the center for the Constitution, uh, you know, Randy's baby works in the giant constellation, I don't think I could have kept my job had I not issued that, you know, uh, limited apology. Um, I think I would have been fired rather than, than suspended immediately. One thing that I was thinking about today, I think there was a piece in the Washington Post by one of your erstwhile colleagues at the at Georgetown Law that actually in the opinion section that that misrepresented and they, they had to post a correction because she actually mistweeted mis misquoted uh, my tweet those three key words she managed to make an error just in those three words which is pretty amazing um, thinking about the the tenor of the report. And, and also specifically, actually, let's drill into this bit, because this was, I think, in your uh, letter was really great. You talked about other instances of Georgetown 
law professors um, engaging and saying things on Twitter in ways that did not uh, uh, provoke uh, anything like the same types of professional rebuke that you received. Can you share that with people? Because I think, um, you know, some people might be looking, hey, he said lesser black women. That sounds kind of gross. Um, uh, lesser, lesser black woman. Let, let's, let's be clear. <laughs> oh, I, what, did, what I, I just, I just did the I just did the Washington Post thing. Sorry about that. Yes, um, you did. You uh, did. Yeah, I'm just, um, I'm, I'm uh, sealing yeah. that. So but yeah, compare so that me, to your colleagues. Me. Yeah. And when you when one says lesser black women, you just mean other than Beyonce is what you're saying. <laughs> the hierarchy of black women. <laughs> yeah. That's fine. That's fine. Uh, you know, I once was in a was at a TSA line with Simone Biles, and I thought she's great, and I asked for her autograph, and I wish her luck in. Rio, this is that that's that long ago. And then she say, shut up, racist. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, here's one. Uh 2018, the, the the Kavanaugh confirmation process. Professor Carol Christine Fair, who's become one of my defenders, one of my free speech defenders. I'm that's sure great. we agree on nothing other than the merits of free speech. But she's she tweeted, quote, look at this chorus of entitled white men justifying a serial rapist's arrogated entitlement. All of them deserve miserable deaths while feminists laugh as oh, they dear. take their last gasps. Bonus, we castrate their corpses oh. and feed them to swine. Oh, yes. Yeah. I thought you could say swans. So it would be a nice <laughs> little touch. What What was the punishment that she received for, for saying that they there should be castrated no investigation, and no punishment. Georgetown invoked its free expression policy, which, as I say, as they is should. very well written yes. and said nothing. Also, by the way, it's not only a tweet that is kind of psychotic, but it's also wrong on its face. Like, a serial rapist? Did anyone accuse Brett Kavanaugh of being a serial rapist? No, not No, that's not true. Okay, just making sure. Just a, just a gang rapist. Oh, was that actually was I? You know, I have yeah. I have put that out of my mind. It was a very traumatic period for me. Yeah, uh, to have to listen to that cake stands. Well, I mean, Michael yeah. Avenatti alleged lots of different things. Yeah, he's in jail now. So. He's yeah, so I want I want to keep away from. Oh, that's right, he's in jail. Yeah, oh, I should think about him, what could have been. Send him a cake with a, been president of the United file States. in it, so you can see if you can get out. <laughs> he's a real contender. But one thing that I'm thinking about in not just your case, uh, which is Georgetown Law, right? The law mm. professors. You would think that if there's a place that was committed to like calm let's calm down and think about due process and principle for its own sake regardless of our the the heat of our emotions in a given moment um and to see the, the way that they sort of responded to this and like tried to squeeze and massage uh policy in order to fit for a desired outcome um i'm thinking about this also in terms of dave weigel at the washington post who we'll talk about later um a metaphor came to mind, which is always a problem with me, um, which is that, uh, like, do the, I think uh, Dave, I mean, Dave would be treated better if he, like, lost some weight and shaved his mustache, don't you think? I mean, that's uh, it's a perennial, um, probably, although his mustache is pretty glorious. I think we can all agree. But no, like, when, when institutions lose that sense of due process principle, um, it's like... Those, it's like a rudder in the, the back of a boat. You don't always notice it, but when it's removed, then suddenly things careen out of control and it's just like, who's got the biggest oar to whack someone in the head? Like the lack of principle in the way that things are applied, whether it's uh, comparative tweets by different professors and their points of view, it's just stunningly obvious that there's a difference between what you tweeted and someone wishing castration and death upon rapists and horrible people while feminists stand up and applaud. Like, like there is no equivalent world in which that makes any sense, that disproportionate 
treatment. Um, is it a cautionary tale about what happens when you get rid of that sense of principle and when you let the sort of political um, kind of brawn win out? Uh, I think that's right. I think, and I think it's happened to a lot of law schools. It's very unfortunate. Um, and we see that in debates over the so-called legitimacy of the Supreme Court, which is another uh, uh, way of saying that, that those on the left are unhappy with decisions of the court and therefore it must be uh, illegitimate. And they go so far as to say that all of the Republican appointed justices are illegitimate for one reason uh, or another. And therefore we need structural systemic change, getting rid of the filibuster and packing the court and getting rid of the electoral college and, 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 and all the rest of it. It's, it's, it's part and parcel of um, just uh, uh, an unwillingness to, to accept the rules of the game. And we see that actually on both sides uh, of the divide. We see a, a loss of grace in our society more broadly where People are, un you know, they, they consider their political enemies to be not just wrong, but evil. Um, and uh, nobody can ever mess up. That's, you know, the, their lives should be ruined. They should be, you know, set off on an ice flow and forgotten. Um, and, and all of these illiberal trends are accentuated in the academy where there's a sort of, of groupthink and enforced uh, ideology where anyone who, who deviates is, um, is anathema. Um, and I've seen that from in, in, in Georgetown. I, you know, I like to say from the inside because I see emails on the listservs and what have you, two thirds of which, by the way, have been DEI related, the diversity, equity, inclusion that dominates everything these days. Mm. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, it, it's, it's not that I've seen them from inside the campus because I've been banned from the campus because had I had I appeared on campus during my suspension, that would have been threatening and triggering and harmful and etc. So you, you were banned from physically appearing on campus. Correct. And the reason for that, because one presumes that a group of lawyers would provide a pretty solid reason for you not being on campus. What did they tell you uh, as, a, as a reason for why you couldn't show up on campus? They just said it was one of the conditions of the administrative leave that, um, you know, I was not to engage in university business uh, or work for the university or, or come onto campus. Um, that's about it. But to be clear, you know, the, the thing pain. is, my, my case is different than a lot of others because I'm, I'm fortunate enough. I, I really am. I feel myself lucky that I, I have platforms. The Wall Street Journal will publish me. Mm -hmm. I spoke at many, many, you know, federal society and other kinds of events at law schools and other organizations. Um, I, I did not go silently in, into that good night with my, the tail between my legs, you know, you know, uh, please, sir, may I kind of kind of thing during those four months. And I'm sure they didn't know what to do with me because they didn't muzzle me. They didn't say they couldn't. They couldn't say, you know, not only can you not work for the university or show up on campus, but you can't you know, say anything publicly. So they didn't muzzle me. And, I, and so I used the the opportunities that I had, the networks and, and platforms to push back uh, on all of this, especially after the first month or so, when it became clear that this was a farce. Uh, my lawyer at that point just said, look, it's probably not, not good to criticize Georgetown directly, but otherwise talk about your area of expertise, you know, Supreme Court stuff, constitutional stuff, free speech. And that's what I did. Mm. Uh, and so I, I tried to use this, this leave, this opportunity productively um, and, and, it was and show them to be... Um, kind of ridiculous and it was paid leave right so like 
Unlike Dave, that's Wagner. right. They but, freed right. me up to do lots of other things. It's pretty and awesome. I was speaking and writing and doing legal consulting. So explain to people because I, I think that that the average listener doesn't really understand this. I mean, I think they know that there's a lot of rot in these institutions, particularly when you see what happens to Dave Weigel and. You know, this you have, I mean, journalism, academia, these elite institutions that are, shall we say, to be diplomatic, rather sensitive about, about some, some of these issues. What is the idea here? I mean, I know it's a broad kind of question, but what yep. is the idea? Yep. This, this, this tweet does what? What does it do to students? What are they worried about? I mean, these are graduate yeah, they students talked about a who are in their late 20s, presumably. The dean talked about a significant negative impact and the harm that was felt by a significant portion of the community. So, so what is the harm? Do, do you ask them to quantify what harm means? And significant uh, portion of the <laughs> yeah, That seems all to words. get into a question about any potential lawsuit that I may file that I may not comment on right okay. now. Right. Well, let me comment uh, on it for you. <laughs> That's a load uh, of horseshit. Um, yeah, because presumably... No, look, look, yeah, yeah. no it, is, it is horseshit. It is horseshit. It, it's, it's saying that, you know, my... my it's a heckler's veto. It's, it's you know, I... I it's, it's, sometimes it's even like a performative heckler's veto. It's like, I'm not really offended, but like, aha... That's politically correct. Incorrect. I can seize on that to um, to make some point to uh, to attack you. What 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 have you? Um, what's going on? This this academic rot. This is not simply a case of complaining about left wingers on campus. This is not the same thing that people in the seventies were talking about or or, or whatever. This is um, this is not your your this is not your daddy's left winger. This is an illiberal uh, wind. That even you know, '60s liberals, the, re- the now retiring boomers, okay, boomer, right? They're they're retiring because in academia they're afraid of of the new new left mm-hmm. uh, that says, wait, you're tolerating free speech and discourse, but what about these people who are you know promoting white supremacy and systemic racism in disagreeing with this very narrow Overton window of permissible? opinions mm-hmm. the, 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 this is the the irony of this dei stuff the diversity is actually against intellectual diversity the equity is against uh, equal opportunity judging people uh, all all equally without without regard to intersectional characteristics and the uh, inclusiveness is excluding uh, anyone who doesn't adopt a certain set of of beliefs and as these types of bureaucrats have exploded in recent years, and I really think that uh, COVID and George Floyd have accelerated these trends. It's really made uh, academia a, a no-go zone for anyone. Uh, you know, it's it's not that the that the administrators or the leaders of academic institutions all of a sudden have turned woke overnight, but no, they're spineless cowards and weasels who placate and kowtow to uh, to those uh, left-wing illiberal mobs. Can I, I want to ask two two questions here, and, and I know we've kept you for a while and it's late and you've been doing the media rounds, but one... That's okay. I still have most of my bottle of uh, Woodford Reserve. Oh, good. Well, we'll get you really drunk and then and pump you for the good exactly. stuff. Um, so, <laughs> just wait till it gets really <laughs> so have, have there... I just want to talk about the culture um, and, the, and the moment that, that we're currently in. Have you heard from other would have been, I suppose... Um, faculty who would have been your coworkers um, at Georgetown, like any sort of confidential kind of expressions of support. 
Did you did you see any when of that? I was first hired before my tweet uh, about a half a dozen before the tweet members? Okay. Uh, welcome me. But after the drama began, after no one drama, reached out to you. To say, this other is, than the this three is and a half, you know, non-progressives of the 150 or so <laughs> members of the faculty. Um, wow. So Randy Barnett. <laughs> yeah. Nick Rosenkranz, well, Dave yeah. Hyman, Sean Hopwood. That's that's it. That's literally it. Wow. Um, David Cole, who's also the national legal director of the ACLU. The yeah. ACLU, of course, is no longer a civil liberties organization. It's a left-wing organization. Mm. But But he's written a couple of op-eds now saying... Uh, I shouldn't have been fired. I, I uh, you know, my, my words were heinous, but I shouldn't be fired because it's speech. And that's commendable because typically the ACLU uh, no longer defends uh, free speech. So that, that was great for David. We've worked together in the past on, on various cases. But um, uh, the associate dean for centers and institutes, Georgetown is so huge. It actually has a dedicated dean for centers and institutes like my center for the Constitution, mm-hmm. uh, Rosa Brooks. She was supportive. Oh. She's a leftist herself, but she's yeah, an old yeah. school leftist. Yeah. No, she's, yeah. uh, she, uh, she, she was, she's been very nice. And she was publicly me. supportive. Yeah. She's a colleague of uh, mine at the LA Times. She, isn't she the daughter of Barbara Ehrenreich? She is, yeah. and, uh, and has written a couple Some of lefty royalty right pretty there. interesting books about military and cops that <laughs> yeah. are huh. yeah. cut across, uh, against the grain. Yeah. I, yeah. It, it, so, the, I mean, the thing about it is you clarify this statement pretty quickly. You delete the tweet. You say, look. You know, any good faith reading of this is going to understand that, you know, what I mean here is pretty straightforward. And I would never, I mean, even if you harbored those deeply racist beliefs, somebody who's deeply racist and, you know, going to work at Georgetown probably wouldn't air them publicly, right? So that'd be, (laughs) that's a And that sort of deep-seated, like, racism probably would not be cured by the mandatory, uh, you know, implicit bias training that uh, (laughs) was part of the condition of my race. And also you had, you couldn't do on campus. 20-year public career right right? like producing constantly so but that's the thing is that what they're doing at that point is calling you a liar right because you're you're clarifying look that's not what i meant here's what i meant now somebody could just say yeah look we hired this guy we know his reputation he's clarifying he deleted the tweet he explained when they go further after that they're effectively calling you a liar right that you're lying about this and you are in fact a racist whose you know subterranean racism came to the surface, and now you're trying to cover it up. I mean, I suppose that's what the implication is, right? That you are not only a racist, but you're a lying racist. Absolutely, absolutely. Pretty horrifying, isn't it? Mm. The other accusation I saw thrown at you pretty recently uh, by someone who I think I used to work with uh, is that uh, well, you know, Ilya is a troll. Like this, who this, said that? This tweet. Um, oh, it's public. Uh, uh, Dalmia. Oh, okay. Uh, wrote that. Uh, I believe, and if I'm wrong about that, I'll, I'll, I'll correct. Oh, that's uh, sad. I'm, um, I'm, uh, sad. But uh, but saying that uh, sort of there's a, a history of trolling out there that uh, that uh, that this like lines up with. What's your response to that? I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Uh, someone might not like something that I tweeted in the past or something. Uh, I stand by all of the op-eds I've ever published. Certainly I, I don't stand by every tweet that I've published, which is what, why I have I've long for many years. Now I had my tweets on a seven day delete. Um, uh, if you, you can't find my old tweet, it's not something <laughs> new. Probably do a seven oh, we can find it. We can find it. Yeah, absolutely. But I mean, even the, the, the delete program tweeting. I use does not offer the seven-minute delete. I'm, I'm sure I should. <laughs> but no characterizing, characterizing this as trolling seems pretty ridiculous to me. It's not directed at any specific person. It's not even directed at a category of person. It is directed at 
unless you're a, a lunatic interpreting this, it's directed at the criteria established by the president of the United States for making selections for the Supreme Court. Which you can support or disagree with. Yeah, that's, that's an idea. That's, that's it. Perfectly fine. That's not trolling. No, yeah. it's definitionally. I mean, is that, uh, you said that that's disappointing when Matt said uh, who he recalls actually um, um, tweeted that. And I think Matt's going to check now to make sure that he's right. Uh, <laughs> were, there, were there other people who disappointed you in this process? Or perhaps I mean, people I, who surprised you. I mean, surprised I, I, there, you, yeah. there was a, Rosa Brooks um, being one of them. The write-up uh, in the New York lot, Times I've, today I've, was surprisingly. I've a lot of support from a lot of people. I'm very gratified and thankful uh, for you know, I really got to know who my friends are. Um, I rather would not have uh, had the occasion to learn all of that. But, um, yeah. you know, people of uh, different walks of life, different times in my life that I knew them, uh, and whether it's a private expression of support to me, uh, a public statement, a back channel to the dean, or, or mm-hmm. any or all of the above, that was tremendously uh, gratifying. The The main negative surprise was that the Cato Institute, where I spent almost 15 years, was completely silent. Oh, you would think that an institution devoted to free speech um, and academic freedom and integrity uh, would have done something about that, let alone uh, any conceptions of loyalty to me. Um, Why do you think think that was? That will have to be the subject for a different podcast. Okay, Um, but but it does. It sounds like it didn't surprise you. Um. Uh, let's just say it it didn't surprise me as much as it would have five years ago. Sure. There are certain tendencies at Cato, both uh, managerial and, and ideological, that have been going in directions that uh, I think are not uh, good, not just with respect to me, but in terms of promoting Cato's own values. Hmm. Got it. Yeah. It's interesting. I, I mean, I've, I've, I've heard something like that before, but from, from someone who I would probably describe as like a left libertarian. Um, and not not a few of those, um, so that's that's interesting. Um, the one thing I'd say though is, you know, speaking again to just kind of the cultural moment is like the New York Times. There was a story today um, about your situation. I got the the hard copy because I was in the Fox News green room to go on Tucker, and you know who looks at who gets like hard copies of newspapers anymore, but. They had the Times. I got that story. And then I got the, the Wall Street Journal with both my latest op-ed and their house editorial. So it is glorious. I got the jackpot of the physical evidence, which, <laughs> you know, I, I'm, you know, I'm, 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 an, I will, I'm a wizened uh, old hack, I guess. And I don't collect my clips anymore in, in physicality. I just get my links and at best. Uh, but, but, but I mean, I'm the Times did not describe it, you as racist. Like they, they seem to yeah. be giving you a pretty no, fair No, the New York cut. Times story, I was very pleasantly surprised that the reporter, I thought, wrote a very good story. Uh, and even the photograph of me yeah. was, was good. Yeah, <laughs> it, it really was a good photograph. Maybe Ken White will see that. Well, Ilya, I'm, I'm delighted that, that things are looking up for you. I'm delighted that you're in a, in a good place now and that this has, has sort of worked out for your good. And in as much as the campus environment is toxic and absurd and weird, um, I'm also delighted to see that like, media coverage of this particular drama, which was not um, positive in many instances when the scandal kind of first broke and I, I use scandal I use the word advisedly it's it's a ridiculous preposterous scandal um, it had real implications for you and was genuinely um, irksome and difficult and arduous for you to go through but you've got to come out on the other side of it you have uh, a new opportunity at the Manhattan Institute that you're um, excited about 
Um, and uh, I, I hope for good things for you. I'm glad this has kind of worked out for your good. Um, and I don't and, know. And with fire, as I told Greg, you know, from the very beginning, um, any way I, I can help, I, I, I want to be one of one of fire's biggest fundraisers at this point, uh, to the extent it doesn't conflict conflict with my Manhattan uh, Institute obligations, but just a tremendously valuable organization that is now expanding its purvey outside the educational space. Um, uh, You know, I I was there, um, you know, the founders of FIRE were uh, Alan Charles Charles Coors, uh, the father of a classmate of of mine at Princeton, Samantha Coors, and Harvey Silverglade, who I've gotten to know very Mm -hmm, well mm -hmm. over the years um, when I was at Cato. Uh, just a tremendous organization, tremendously valuable, doing the work that a lot of other organizations either abandoned or, or nobody was doing. And, yeah. And beyond the educational space, I mean, it's so important just just to promote basic, you know, decency and civil discourse. You'd think that's not that much, but uh, people have lost their minds. Yeah. And in, I, in, 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 yeah. in an indubitably non-ideological way as well, representing people on the left and the right in kind of any interesting, difficult situation um, on campuses. It started now, off, now, I beyond. mean, if you if you read the core Silverglade book that, that yeah. launched it. Which the Shadow University, the yeah. Shadow University. Yeah. Uh, you know, in, in the mid-90s, there was yeah. some student at Penn, and I think it was an Israeli student who, yeah. like. The water uh, buffalo incident, The right? water buffalo yes, incident, right. exactly right. Yeah. Yeah, that's I mean, go back and look at that one. And that is really the kind of tip of the spear here. And I think he and I think you're right. Ilya. I think he was uh, uh, Israeli and there was a group of women outside of his window being raucous and loud. And I, I, yeah, I don't think they were all. I think there were some black women might have been all. And he he used uh, the phrase water buffalo, I remember uh, that. which was not uh, in anyone's uh you know, knowledge or race, uh, a racial slur that anyone else had ever used. And maybe in, in Hebrew, it makes sense. But <laughs> ra- rather than saying that my, it's kind of an odd translation that um, that guy, I actually looked him up not too long ago and he lives in New York and I was trying to get him. Is he a lawyer? Uh, he <laughs> might be actually. <laughs> but Ilya, I, I just to say before we let you go that, um, you know, I always hate to see uh, this happened to people that I that I know and respect, and uh, I, I have uh, great ma- admiration for you and your work. But I will say there's some positive things that come out of it, In in that is the exposure to the average person and people that I know who don't follow this sort of thing, who have talked to me about this, actually, because they've heard us mention on this podcast that are not, you know, expressly political people. And it exposes the insanity of the university, and particularly there was a somebody who was going to be a colleague of yours um, who wrote something in the Washington Post a couple days ago, a woman, I don't recall her name offhand, um, it is, hold on, I have it here, uh, Alicia something or other, yeah. Pure yeah. Hopeless or something, um, wrote a piece that I think is really fantastic and everyone should read because it's fantastically bad, and it shows you everything that's wrong with this way of thinking, and nobody with a sort of half-functioning brain can read this and say, well, these are sensible ideas. At the end of it, this amazing thing when I was like, I I hate that you went through this, but I'm glad that you allow people like this to come to the fore and expose themselves in saying that, you know, Ilya didn't learn from his... If he had learned from his mistakes, wonderfully Stalinist, had he renounced those beliefs in a a, a short period of time, just, you know, jettisoned everything he believed, that would have been fine, right? But he didn't. 
and he wrote a piece in the Wall Street Journal, which uh, this is my the phrase that I that I marked here that perpetuated dangerous notions of victimhood. Dangerous, and this is the incredible thing about all of these conversations. It's the insertion of words like violence, in danger, and that kind of stuff that actually makes this like we have to do something about it. It's not just speech. This is something much more malicious and much more malign, and it's going to hurt our students. And an average person that reads that stuff says, this stuff is utterly bonkers. It is truly bonkers. And again, sorry that you had to go through, the, through this stuff, but you know, it did expose a lot of people to the, to the insanity that, that um, people in universities have to deal with. So small, small, tiny silver lining. Oh, I think that's right. And I'm, I'm trying to use this moment to spotlight that, not, not to try to convince any, any uh, radical activists, but, uh, you know, most people don't pay attention or they think they're yeah. isolated incidents. And there's, there's a real problem here. Stop and fucking of course, tweeting. And too, of course, by the, way. the, the, <laughs> no the more most, tweeting. <laughs> the most important lesson to draw from all of this is that my book, Supreme Disorder, <laughs> That's, that is the lesson. <laughs> the, the, yeah, as you put it out, court, the hardcover is out in paperbacks cheap, July cheaper. 5th. Yeah, the hardcover is cheap. Yeah. You send can still it get the hardcover cheap. Absolutely. Yeah, he'll, he'll sign it and send it back to you. Yep. Oh, absolutely. man. <laughs> Include a self-addressed envelope, by the way, because, you know, <laughs> Manhattan Institute, I mean, thank you, Raihan Salam, but, you know. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm going to be heading up the uh, the Falls Church office. So right right here. You... <laughs> Is it the, the Falls Church Institute? <laughs> Not as sexy, that title, but that's fine. Well, thanks a bunch, Ilya. We appreciate you joining us. Um, and uh, again, best of luck with the with the new endeavor. We, 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 we know of new methods of attack. Well, yeah, I mean, it's it's super fucking late. Um, yeah. Glad we were finally able to get our technical issues uh, resolved, so we could yeah, talk yeah, a little bit yeah. about his about his drama, yeah. um, and the the happy ending there. Not happy in the sense that the university um, is not absolutely insane, but happy in the sense that he's he actually has a job and can p- continue I mean, it's to not put great food the on his student, family. The students of, of Georgetown who, yeah. you know, would benefit from having views that they might not agree with, right? I mean, as he pointed out, there's about four people that agree with him in a faculty of, what did he say, 150? 150, yeah. Uh, that's not great. Um, that's not great if you're going to law school. And I worry when you hear these people saying the harm that this does and this kind of speech is literally a faculty member that I was talking to this, this woman in the Washington Post who is denouncing him two, two days ago, I think two days ago, that these are the people, and this is the, this is, well, I'll just read a question that was just at the top of this, and I didn't even flag this, but how does a school react when freedom of speech and matters of equity collide? Mm. I don't think they really collided, but if you want to make an accident out of that, yeah. that is deeply disturbing that you know people in a, an elite law school are, are being led and taught by people who are asking questions like that. Now, I want, to, I want to come back and say something about fire in a bit, but yeah. Dave Weigel, I mean, we've, sure. I think we kind of put the situation into context. We've been recording for like 15 hours, so I don't even know. Yeah, we, but we have 58 minutes that we have usable right now. But, uh, <laughs> if that. If that, if that. Did, yeah. did, did we explain what happened? Dave tweeted, well, yeah. someone tweeted a joke. Yes. And I don't remember what the joke is. Get but the, joke. John, let me get get the joke, joke on ahead. A very uh, boring joke. joke. It is all right. It's, bec- it's become it much more funny joke. since yeah. 
Yeah. A much more true sense. <laughs> you know, it's the incredible thing about this. I'm looking for this. <laughs> it's this, very misogynistic. Uh, tweet. Yeah. Well, exactly. <laughs> the the I'm just looking for the tweet and the the um you get headlines like this from CNN. Oliver Darcy still trying to shake off working for Glenn Beck. Uh, the Washington Post suspends reporter Dave Weigel over sexist retweet. No, nope, no, nope, no quotes around sexist. Yeah. Sexist um, retweet. And do you know? moral, moral clarity. How do you know that? Um, yeah. Do they and actually, Oliver's been doing good work on this, by you know, like, it, but that headlines. Something. But but like like most of them, it doesn't include the tweet because people might be harmed. It's by a dangerous it. tweet. This this is routinely the case when you find these scandals that you will not be able to find the offending tweet or the offending they, messages. There's a story it's very weird. There's a story. The Associated Press, like two days ago, um, uh, did a tweets resurfaced piece uh-huh. about a 25 year old. A player for the St. Louis Cardinals. Cardinals, yeah. Who was who was what? Thirteen. It was fourteen, 14? and I think maybe even eleven, or maybe fourteen and sixteen, but definitely not of anything close. Couldn't to, drive a car. Couldn't drive a car. Age uh, had tweeted some gay joke, and then like didn't they in, wouldn't print the they wouldn't print the joke. No, I have no idea what it was. Wow. Yeah, I have no. I, I, mean, I, I, I look for it too. I have no idea. Yeah. That's, that's nuts. Because because the, the, the odds are it might have been hilarious. Like, <laughs> I, I want to defend it on the on the uh, grounds that it might be hilarious. But this is like Muhammad cartoon shit. Oh yeah, for sure. That's bizarre. Yeah, that and and, and it's funny because the Muhammad cartoon stuff is really what established that precedent. Prior to that, it wasn't like we can't talk about what's in the Satanic Verses. Yeah, this stuff was quoted. This stuff was available. Um, nobody in America would reprint the Muhammad cartoons, with the exception of I think the New York Sun. And I think maybe the Philadelphia, not the Inquirer. What's the what's the um, uh, the right, tabloid one? Tabloid. The other one. Star. It's not the Star. No, the Daily News. I think. Or yeah. Something. Um, and I think they might have printed a few, but they were the inoffensive ones. Uh-huh. They were not. They were like the ones that were kind of making fun of the contest. It wasn't the Muhammad with the bomb in the turban, which, by the way, was widely misunderstood because mm-hmm. it was making fun of the conception people had of Islam, not actually right. saying Muhammad was a, was a, was a terrorist. But uh, yeah, these ones you can't find. But the New York Post does have Dave's uh, Good. Uh, tweet. It's a retweet from YouTuber Cam Harless, uh, who's stated, and you know what, I got to be honest, the joke doesn't make any sense. Um, <laughs> every girl is bi. You have to figure out if it's polar or sexual. I mean, it's not a funny. It's not. A funny I have joke. met women who are both bipolar and bisexual. I've dated tons of them. <laughs> I very rarely did ones that were not one or the other. Yeah. Um, My wife is neither bipolar or bisexual. That's why you have a happy marriage. Yet. Um, well, I mean, yeah. <laughs> that's why you have a disappointing but functional marriage. <laughs> There's a Kanye joke in there, people. Okay. You you know you make the proposition. Hey, if you'd like to. And then she says, no, I'm not interested. And you say, I'm just kidding, unless you go and do it. That's the, and that's the Kanye. Okay. Yeah. Well, do you, I, I, don't, I don't know if Kanye. But I'm actually very satisfied with my marriage. This okay. Good. Yes. Yeah. She's great. Yeah. She, she just as she is. Yes. yes. Um, she only wants me. I can't help that. And, and, and Dave's colleague, uh, Felicia Sonmez, who uh, referred to Dave in subsequent tweets as a close friend. Yes. Mm. I don't know what this fucking woman understands a friendship to be, but it's very different (laughs) than what I understand. Said, fantastic to work at a news outlet, and here's a verb that's very important, where retweets like this are allowed. 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 You shouldn't be allowed to retweet. And, and of course, the Washington Post responded by saying, you are not allowed. And you have been um, put on leave without pay for one One month. month. Dave Weigel, who had previously been fired from the Washington Post, is now in some sort of purgatory for that for that joke. And he he did remove the tweet, 
and apologized say, immediately. Immediately said, I just removed a, a retweet of an offensive joke. He re- himself referred to it as offensive. I apologize and did not mean to cause any harm. I don't believe any harm was actually caused to anyone. So um, that was day except one, Dave, except Dave Weigel. Except Dave Weigel, yeah. yeah. That was yeah. day one. With and we are now on day five mm-hmm. of this. Yeah, and this is happening concurrently with, as we had mentioned at the top of the show, with a case of Taylor Lorenz, their um, middle-aged TikTok reporter. Um, <laughs> that's Kyle Smith's phrase. Yeah, anyway, <laughs> in his piece, which is just Kyle Smith and Glenn Greenwald, their amount of just like delicious meanness uh when approaching this is uh it's it's worth the price of admission um but uh uh taylor lorenz had written a piece um kind of decrying the way that tiktok influencers and other people um were uh, cashing in on the depp heard trial Mm -hmm. and she described reaching out to them they didn't get back to her you know that kind of language this is the claim made in the in the story yeah Yeah, reached out for comment and they didn't respond and that's been corrected three times and in such a way to make it pretty clear that she was lying about it lying like Mm -hmm. dave weigel uh hit the rt button on social media on a, in a moment, in a moment, yeah. in it, on a mild joke that was yeah. mildly offensive. If you're offended by such things, and I definitely am not. Uh, <laughs> my wife is not, for the record, um, either. And uh, and and so immediately, like a suspension without pay for a month, and someone who is caught red-handed lying, occasioning, occasioning. Uh, three different uh, like updated corrections on a yeah. single story. That's not the journalistic scandal. The journalistic and, and, and by the way, not the first you know raft of corrections that have come down for pieces that she's written. And when when yeah. she's confronted with it, she doesn't apologize no. and say, "Oh wow, my bad. Shouldn't have done that." Um, she accuses people of again uh, sicking mobs, uh, you know, misogynistic mobs against her, and all this kind of stuff uh, in that. And so that story kind of goes away, except for the <laughs> the mischievous Glenn Greenwalds of the world who won't let it go, uh, like a little ferret. Um, uh, but meanwhile, everyone in the world is talking about it because it, the the gossip is delicious and the. It is. It's so obviously insane to everybody who doesn't work for the Washington Post. Like, if you took a poll of anyone who has heard about the story, and there's been a lot of spouses who've been introduced to the story, like three or four <laughs> days later, yeah, yeah. Um, it was like, really? What? Yeah. She's been doing this for five days now. Yeah. Uh, it's been. It's been uh, going up until on tonight, test. too. By the way, um, this is uh, a colleague, uh, Washington Post reporter named Jose Del Real. I believe yeah. is how you pronounce his last name. He admonished her for calling out Weigel um, and said, uh, Felicia, which is a perfect name for her, we all mess up from time to time. Engaging in repeated and targeted public harassment of a colleague is neither a good look nor is it particularly effective. It turns the language of inclusivity Mm. into clout chasing and bullying. I don't think this is appropriate. Wow. Um, And he's deleted that tweet and he deleted another tweet in which he said, I hope you reconsider the cruelty you regularly unleash against colleagues. Now, ladies and gentlemen, this does not seem like a healthy work. It's not a healthy work environment. This is fucking crazy. And by the way, keeping in mind that what something that is very not frequently pointed out that uh, Felicia Sanchez sued her employer in that that um, lawsuit was dismissed a couple months ago with prejudice, with prejudice. Yeah. So uh, I'm just she, saying she, this she, is not a story uh, to give you background on that. She said that uh, she she was a sexual assault victim. 
Um, I think a disputed claim, by the way, because there's been some public argument about that. I'm not, I'm not saying I have taken a position on this. I'm just saying this is actually what has happened that has been a disputed claim. And that she cannot report on those types of stories because my guess is that people are saying, you know, she's it, too emotionally it's, involved. It's more, it's more kind of... Um, that, in, insidious is the wrong word. Incisive, one of those words is, is in there. When Kobe Bryant died, she got in there into the Twitter within oh, yeah. an hour or yes. two yeah. and said, you know what? Uh, everyone's crying, but he was a rapist. Yeah. More or less. I, yeah. That's not the yeah, exact yeah. quote. Um, but she remind, she was the person who did that thing and that moment. Um, and that caused the, uh, the, all of social media to blow up. And then she said uh, that, look, this just, you know, it's, it's for those of us who've been victims of sexual assault. And she had accused a guy whose name I'm not going to repeat. It's public, but he's had his life ruined on more than one occasion by this accusation. And there's been, there was a great piece in Reason. In Reason by, is, by Emily Off. By Emily Off, who, who, who just did some great reporting on it. And I know that there was a lot of back and forth on it, but you cannot understand the story without reading her piece. I don't encourage people to read that because as you just said, I don't encourage people to read any part of it because the person whose name has been dragged through the mud has been um, a victim in this by my lights, but from from my reading of this, and it's it's a horrible thing that's happened to him. And so. she's been doing this uh, ever since. She inserts herself into stories that are decidedly not about her. Kobe Bryant dying with his daughter was really not about Felicia Sunmez, Sunmez, who's is a Stelter Stetler yeah. thing. I'm yeah. never going to get it right. Yeah. <laughs> um, it just wasn't about her, but she made that whole cycle about her. I suspect, and this is not nice of me to suspect this that the taylor lorenz thing like activated her spidey sense like oh the other one is uh is is causing all this kind of like uh, stuff to go on what can i do to get in the middle of something that really kind of has nothing to do with anything like there's no reason to pick a fight with dave weigel there just wasn't that is that her close friend her close friend, Dave Weigel. And and there's a lot of different ironies. And Dave used to work at Reason. I, I, I didn't hire Dave, but I employed Dave. I fired Dave, actually, um, in an unrelated uh, uh, incident. He gets fired a lot, I guess. Uh, Dave's had a, had a rough time. But Dave is a guy who has always been keen to uh, get the favor of people in mainstream media of of his of his sort of uh, milieu his clique and i'm not talking out of school here being mean at all today i'm sort of dis describing the the pathos of a guy right like he came up uh, in the generation of ezra klein and matthew iglesias and rouse ross uh, douthat and whatever i can't pronounce that name either and megan mccardle and all these people and so he's always like um uh, i think he's been a little bit insecure about his place in that group of people and when he's at a place like the Washington Post, like you can see, he even signed when Felicia Sumnez, right, um, after the Kobe Bryant thing, this is the-, the She was suspended, yeah. She was suspended Which because- was wrong. She went, she was wrong for the yes. Washington Post to I'm do on that. her side on that. Um, but also like she uh, was just kind of going ham about Kobe Bryant and rape and sexual assault. And they told her, you can't cover things like this. There was a lawsuit associated with that. Um, and she lost, again, dismissed with preju prejudice over this. But in the- in the meantime, a whole bunch of people in the journalism firmament, including at the Washington Post, including Dave Weigel, signed their names like, you know, she's a brave truth teller and it's terrible what they're doing to her. They're they're throttling yeah, her. Yeah. It's not she's not allowed to speak her truth, even though she's a victim. 
and I will insert that her victimhood is is under dispute. Yes. You might believe it, you might not. There might be gradations, um, but I think it's yeah. It's, but re- but read up on that if you uh, rather than taking that at face value, because I mean, there's been, just there's been some dispute about there's that, been shall we say there's yeah. been some dispute, but she has a track record of inserting herself and to causing controversy. If you th- she's a White House reporter, right? She's a Washington reporter. Think to yourself, the three of us at this table, how many times you've thought of her name, uh, and this could be our own sexism or, bl- or blindness, but I think that- Oh, we- in the context of journalism. In the context Never. of like, like she wrote <laughs> it's a story. A oh, she wrote yeah. that story. I mean, I can think of. I have a uh, a dear friend, uh, Lisa Mascaro, now works for the AP. Used to work for the, the Los Angeles Times. I will encounter her um, by accident, you know, several times a year, writing and breaking a pretty good story. Um, I don't recall this happening with Felicia. She it's there in the middle of Twitter spats. That is what she has done. And it's remarkable that she keeps going. She's been going after this Del Real guy um, to the extent that I think he's disappeared from Twitter or at least blocked her from Twitter. And it's, it's, it's also fucking juvenile. Josh Barrow has the best line. He, about he's, he's had a great funny. I, uh, Josh is very funny. <laughs> you had a call him about this. Respect for Josh. And he's like, uh, look, you don't have to run your workplace like this. The a newspaper is not, Fleetwood Mac. <laughs> and it's true. Like, oh, like, man. I, you know, it's clear to me um, uh, that Felicia's got some problems to work through and that she's working it out in public and there aren't adults in the places that she works to tell her, shut the fuck up. <laughs> it's not going well right now. You are trashing your colleagues. You are distracting from work. You're violating, like just today, the, we're recording this on Tuesday, the executive editor has had, you know, probably the second or the third of her pronouncements since this really fucking stupid affair came down. Yeah. And this one felt a little bit lawyered. Like, as we all know, the policy here is to not disparage coworkers and stuff. So it, to me, it yeah. feels like she's laying down a marker knowing that Felicia Somnes, Somnes, whatever, uh, is going to uh, go. Uh, she can't stop. Yeah. Uh, she can't stop. She's going to go against it. And it's going to be lawsuits and stuff. There needs to be at at, at at elite institutions. There needs to be someone saying, "Knock it off!" Like you got, you have to adult now. You don't, you know, whatever workplace thing is going on. You don't have to make a gigantic um, social media uh, jihad against your empl- fellow employees, your colleagues. It's it's a it's a ridiculous way to go through life. I, she, I just I remembered and I looked this up. I mean, her went on this campaign against Caitlin Flanagan on Twitter. It's like don't live a life like this. I mean, if you're on Twitter, particularly the, the workplace stuff, I mean, to get back to the more important issue is that there aren't ordinary workplaces that, that act like this. This is a very particular media thing, right? I mean, if you have a workplace in which people are sniping at their coworkers on a public forum and their job is to speak to the public, as a newspaper does, this is a problem, right? You're suing your employer. I mean, I think it was Josh that actually said, I'd be doing a lot of firing at this point. Yeah. You know, I would fire people like, look, you can say that Dave uh, was stupid to retweet that. You can say that Dave does X, Y, and Z wrong. It is unbelievable, but that you've been on a five-day you know, conversation that's being very generous with uh, that was precipitated by somebody you called a close friend who is now a month without salary in a pretty tough economy. Um, Dave will be fine, but he's without salary for a month. If someone took my salary for for a month, for me for a month, I'd be pretty pissed off. 
you know, particularly when all you did was retweet something that was just a, a silly joke. Because what is the idea? Women, uh -oh. this is the idea. Uh -oh. Women cannot work with Dave Weigel now. How can I work with somebody who thinks these things about me? What does he think about you? I don't know. You don't know, because here's the thing. You can laugh at all manner of jokes, mm -hmm. and it doesn't mean you agree with the underlying sentiment of the joke. You'd be like, that's Impossible. funny phrasing. Yeah. That's a funny thing. Like, I can laugh. Like, we were just talking about an old Eddie Murphy joke uh -huh. from Raw, yeah. which is really funny. It says nothing about my worldview. I just well. think it's a funny fucking joke. Well. Right? Well, you never know. It says something but, about what you think yeah, it about. It something about, about African it. African brides. Like, this fucking, yeah. this kind of, uh, this <laughs> idea. <laughs> that, yeah. <laughs> I'm foo foo. <laughs> it's funny. I mean, I loved it when I was a kid. Uh, but yeah, like this kind of thing, like you, that's what he believes about women, and therefore, I'll tell you what, people, make a list of Washington Post journalists. You want to, you want to get into the gutter oh, no. with them? Do it, and try to find a woman in at the Washington Post who has said something about men, like just as men, as a as a as a gender. You know, writ large, all of them, half the world's population. Men will literally men do are, X yeah, instead men of go are such, to therapy. Yeah, like, yeah, men yeah. will do, like, it's like, yeah, I know what they're saying. I'm not mad about it. Not all men are like that. But yeah, I get what you're trying to say. And it's like, I'm not, I'm not thinking, like, I cannot work with this person because they don't respect me as a man. Like, what the fuck are you talking about? She definitely, dis believes this. She definitely so disproved that uh, women are bipolar. Well, let's, let's, uh, let's shift publications <laughs> and talk about something that. slightly, slightly, <laughs> slightly more sane. Right. Um, there really? been a number of stories this week about, nothing more sane. about CNN. Oh, um, CNN, which is apparently making a bit of a pivot. Um, at least this has okay. been suggested. Are they bringing back CNN Plus? Um, the new, no, they're not. Um, Got Jeff, my credit card Jeff, out. Jeff Zucker, um, who was rather famous for being very involved in the coverage and for yeah. whispering in the ears of the talent. That was pretty crazy. They were making. That was crazy. Well, I don't mean in an intimate way. I'm just no, saying. but you sent that piece and I didn't know that as somebody who like interviews people for a living and it said in the New York Times uh -huh. that during interviews, anchors, he would be talking in their earpiece. Yeah. I would tear the fucking thing out and go punch the guy in his mouth. It's like, and, and, don't ever Anderson, do that to somebody. Anderson, ask him about. <laughs> well, I haven't, I haven't said what it's about what yet. So let me, let me no, get that let me, one bit. Let me, just, let me put this in the context yeah. so people can that actually is, keep that up. That can be out of context and be like, don't whisper in people's ears. Yes. Just, Jeff crazy. Zucker was whispering in people's That's ears, crazy. but not in an intimate way. This no. is during, during production Maybe. of shows. Because as, as most <laughs> of the people listening know, CNN. No, that was Cuomo. CNN had become a rather, a rather, partisan media organization. They, they were veering into what would, could probably be described as advocacy. And there have been stories in the New York Times and in Axios and a number of other places this week about a pivot towards more nuanced conventional news. They were moving away from having kind of the breaking news um, banner all over the place. But they're also taking a hard look at their talent. Um, and evaluating them, this is the, the Axios headline, CNN evaluating partisan talent as part of a push to make coverage more neutral. It was interesting to read the New York Times. Wait, what? Yeah, yeah. CNN evaluating partisan <laughs> talent as, a as part of a push to make coverage more neutral. Those words right? don't it make goes, sense. <laughs> it goes on to explain that they're giving them an opportunity yeah. to see if they have the capacity to do this work in a way that is less, less uh, sort of uh, 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 them being partisan advocates yeah. for a particular side if they have the capacity to actually do some journalism 
How about just in fewer a more partisans? neutral way? <laughs> well, well, they, they're Lennon's evaluating the, the people is. who they've got on who they've got on staff now. They want to see if they can actually do the job. And and it's interesting that this is a pivot that they're making, a, a pivot that they're making. Um, and it was described in the New York Times story that they were talking to their advertisers and saying explicitly, "Look, there. This is a very uh, partisan moment. There are a lot of people who are." Um, who are uh, 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 kind of catering to one side or the other, but CNN wants to go back to our traditional roots. We want to do yeah. more would be great. conventional journalism would be terrific. and be a bit more nuanced in our approach to coverage. Um, the, it's interesting that the, the subhead in the New York Times was so uh, good. Chris Light, the new CNN chairman, is encouraging a more nuanced approach to coverage. Some at the network are skeptical. Of nuance! <laughs> We're skeptical of this push for nuance. We want, we want less nuance. And the quote, the quote that he is him talking to advertisers here now last month, um, at a time where extremes are dominating cable news, we are seeking to go a different way. I would say that this is a, a welcome change. Smart, this sounds smart. like a healthy development. It would be. Yeah. I mean, there's, there, there's something always weird about the three lanes. Three lanes for a two-party system, right? Uh, for cable news. There's basically three competitors in cable news. Mm -hmm. And you know Fox is going to be on the right. And you know MSNBC is going to be on the left. And so what does CNN do? And um, beginning, I don't know, five years ago, like yeah. even pre-Trump, it was like, we're going to suddenly Aaron Barnett, uh, Burnett is going to be like, uh, you know what? I'm here fighting for you. Like, yeah, like yeah, yeah. So it became the super like yeah. weird populism. Yeah, like, like the local reporter who's going out and like, you know, there's a scam at the muffler shop and I'm going to go down and fight for you. And I don't need people to fight for me. Yeah. CNN. And, and like, you could see them, like you could actually like see the Jeff Zucker in the ear moments of like, okay. Lean in, fight, fight for the viewer now. Um, and it was awkward, super awkward. And then that became during, during the Trump era, uh, like just the, the sort of like head shaking Anderson Cooper. Anderson Cooper was a very talented interviewer yeah, like, I, at I, his I best agree, or yeah. is moderating. Sure. Like he's really good and he's really bad when he's playing partisan dude. I don't like that. Like either. he's bad at it. Yeah. He's like, unconvincing. He's unconvincing. He's off putting. Yeah. Uh, his best uh, character by far is drunken dude on Times Square. The best. <laughs> uh, clearly the best. Old <laughs> drunken Vanderbilt. <laughs> Uh, like it's stumbling around Times Square. That yeah. like, can we just do that? I yeah. don't know. Once a week, uh, the, yeah. maybe twice a week. No, I like him a lot, and I because I used to have respect for him. I think he's I think he's a smart guy, and he could be a very good interviewer. But when those interviews became when everyone was trying to keep up with each other, mm -hmm. when you know a Peter Navarro would come on and like you know tear him to shreds. That's your job. Mm -hmm. That is your job. If you're on Fox, you're on MSNBC. There are people in power. You're supposed to do that sort of thing. But when you do that. And then, you know, the satellite link, you know, cuts out and then you, you know, shake your head and give some sort of performative, you know, speech, like a face in the crowd kind of thing about how America's collapsing and demise. I don't need that from you. We have enough of that on Twitter, on Substack, on this podcast, <laughs> on all sorts of places. You want that. And I think that there is a business opportunity, as Camille's pointing out, they're talking to advertisers. There's a business opportunity when you're splitting the kind of left side of the aisle, the real kind of devoted people between MSNBC and CNN. That's what they're trying to do. Everyone was trying, they were both trying to capture the same audience. It was great for business at the it time. It was great for business during at the, the time. In the Trump era, they were thriving. They were having great ratings. Um, but as soon as yeah, Mr. They Trump were, exited. They were never great. Well, great for them. Like relative right. to. Yeah, I mean, but imagine when you say that the most successful cable news show, which is Tucker Carlson show, gets 3 million viewers. 
this is a nation of 340 million people, yeah. right? Three million viewers, yeah, it's pretty good in cable news. Good job. But y if you were a businessman, you might go out there and say, there's a lot of other people out there that we're not capturing right. and maybe aren't interested in Rachel Maddow or Tucker Carlson or whoever these other bozos are and maybe want something similar to what CNN was producing in the past because that's what I want, actually. If there's a major event, and, and I saw it happen in an amazing way. The beginning of the, of the war in Ukraine, Mm -hmm. CNN did a fantastic job. Yep. Uh -huh. They did a bang up job. They had their international people come out. They were reporting in a way that was like, there was no Trump. There was no winning. There was no good guys and bad guys. There was the bad guys and good guys in the war in that sense that there was, you know, a dictator who invaded a sovereign nation. But that really wasn't the coverage. It wasn't people like, you know, finger wagging and saying, how can we get Trump into this? Because Trump and Putin were in bed together. They jettisoned all that and mm -hmm. they gave pretty good coverage for, for at least the times I watched it because I was flipping on channels. And what did I end up doing? I started watching Deutsche Welle in English, France 24 in English, uh, you know, even Al Jazeera in English, uh, the BBC uh, World in English, and uh, Sky News. All of those things have no, they don't have the patina of partisanship in the way, they're probably like liberal institutions mostly, but they're not really interested in, you know, winning some, you know, down in the mud partisan fight. And nobody wanted that at the time. And when I got a little bit of it from CNN, I was like, man, that would be great if they went back to what they were in the past. And there's an, I believe that there's an audience for it. And I think they'd probably succeed. But I, the fact that the fact that people say that like internally, they're skeptical because they've gotten so used to how easy it is. Incredibly easy to get the plaudits, to get the retweets, to get the media clips when you're, you know, railing against something. Everybody loves railing against something and getting patted on the back for it. I just wonder if it's our own, uh, you know, preference uh, bias deluding us. I mean, I would like to think that there's a market for that too. Uh, there might not be one. Who knows? There might not be one. I hope there, there might, is. There might I hope there is because I miss that. I like that. I need that. And the lack of it is part of, you know, fundamental to my lack of watching cable news. Me like, too. I can't watch any of it. But I, I would say this, that I think that there's examples of that where it's failed because people had a higher ideal that they were trying to reach in a better opinion of the public than they should have had. And that's th something like AJAM, like Al Jazeera America, mm -hmm. when they were like, you know what, people, it's undercovered the war in Central African Republic. And I'm like, yeah, maybe it is, but nobody cares. That's why it's undercovered. And they tried to do that. And with Qatari oil money, which is, you know, never ending, they failed. Uh, because people just weren't involved or engaged in those types of stories. Like, these are the underreported stories. I believe that they are. But they're underreported not because people, you know, are racist and think that everyone in Africa deserves what's happening in Central African Republic. It's just that they're just not engaged in something so far away. A thing that, That's a hard thing to do. There's another uh, um, element of opportunity out there. And Moynihan, you've actually been pointing this out since early on in this podcast. Um, which is that the mode of talking about politics and current affairs has been on cable news for the most part, with the notable exception of the independence on Fox Business Network, which is one of the greatest television shows ever done. Um, uh, and, and also uh, some of what you've done on Vice News, including incredible pilots that we've, uh, the, yes. we've gotten in the can. <laughs> they'll um, come out sometime. Yeah, they'll come out sometime. But on my like, Instagram. <laughs> my God, were they good. Um, uh, but like, it's still stuck in 
in you know cable newsdom. Like yeah. there's an entire universe of uh, especially podcasts, but also to some degree, you know, Substack newsletter world, um, Joe Roganville, for lack of better terms. But there's a whole universe out there that's beyond and different than him. But there's clearly an audience out there for a different way of engaging with uh, current affairs. Um, and like people are excited to do it and, and to be involved, including um, bringing into it a, a viewpoint that isn't steeped in it in, in yeah. such a way that it's true. like yeah. takes it more as a consumer or like has a way to laugh about it. Um, and there's zero, as far as I can tell, there's zero acknowledgement of that trend uh, evident anywhere on cable news. Anywhere. Do you think that anybody in the past five years, I think it's probably about a five year window that has started listening or what is the ratio actually probably the better way of phrasing it is what is the ratio of people who have started listening to npr in that five years and the number of people who have left npr oh dear god we were just talking about this earlier today. i can't listen like, to there's so many people i know i cannot listen to it anymore you know what i'm it's too crazy and their numbers and this is also true for pbs that you would think the public uh, broadcasters would have a better <laughs> mm. sense of numbers those mm. numbers are really difficult to get to yeah um uh, i would presume um, that people have been running, screaming for the exits. I mean, Netflix, which is maybe a little bit more sensitive towards things, um, when it's time to tighten belts, they're like, okay. Maybe. Yeah, markets are better at determining what people actually want to listen to and watch. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's clearly driving people out where, meanwhile, there's other places where these markets are like springing up yeah. out of nowhere. And what what is the insight? And, and cable news is like trapped in this, uh, demographic death spiral, right? Like the average age is still the median age of a, a cable news viewer is 70. Mm -hmm. It's 70. Mm -hmm. It's not like even 60. No. Like it, might, <laughs> it might be 64 for MSNBC. I don't, I don't know when's the last time I looked, but like it's, it's all Their viewers are dying every year in, in, in large swaths. And it's, and as one hand points out, and this has been true forever since the advent of cable news, everyone pays attention to it. Just like they pay attention to Twitter, even though 3% of America is actively on Twitter. Um, like it's, it is for people who are obsessed with news go there. And so they, they uh, overrate the importance of the thing. But meanwhile, there's these other ecosystems of, of media news and commentary and analysis that are popular and they're new and they're different and they have a different tone. And you would think that there'd be some uh, interest in that in old media companies. And there hasn't been a whole bunch. I mean, yeah. there has been in, you know, podcast universe and Spotify and places like that. And, and the New York times is of the world are like trying to get there. Um, you know, they got Ezra Klein to figure out whether it's okay to have babies <laughs> because of climate change. Did you guys see that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. pretty amazing. That's yeah. the craziest yeah, yeah. thing. The guy. Well, I mean, he, he's he's not the one positing the question. No, no, it, no, this this column is actually it's it's it's. I want to use the phrase eminently reasonable, in the sense that he's unpacking something for people who are asking him a question. And I, I'll find it really quickly because the beginning- In the, in the time you're finding, uh, let's, let, uh, I'll mention uh, somebody who Camille was on um, real time with and who I uh, quite like too is uh, Peter Hamby, who was on uh, CNN a get while on. ago. Yeah. yeah, and Peter should come on the show. And uh, in, in when asked in this New York Times piece about, about uh, what CNN had become, you know, he, he's, he's reasoned and measured because he's a former CNN guy and he's definitely not a right-wing guy in any way. But he says, it was so loud. They found a new outrage every single day. It made it difficult for audiences to separate what was really an emergency 
in what was a ratings ploy. Absolutely right from Peter Hamby. Breaking news. Well, that's the thing that they're trying to do is get get away from breaking news, which is like, you know, Donald Trump sneezed and said something stupid, which was every every half second. I mean, actually get to more breaking news and less like selling just someone you know, farting super loud as breaking news. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, Ezra's, Ezra's column was, uh, it's an opinion column, don't let climate change stop you from having kids, which I think is well, advice. <laughs> uh, but the opening is kind yeah. of nuts. Over the past few years, I've been asked one question more than any other. It comes what? up at speeches, at dinners, in conversation. Who the fuck comes are up, you hanging out it's with? the most comes up at popular speeches. query when I open <laughs> my podcast to suggestions. Time and again, it comes in two forms. The first, should I have kids given the climate crisis you crazy. they will face? No. The second, the second variation on the same question, should I have kids knowing they will contribute to the climate crisis the world faces? No, kill yourself. And it's not just me. Oh, God, a 2020 so morning consult poll yeah, found that a quarter of adults without children say climate change is part of the reason they didn't have children. A Morgan Stanley analyst yeah, sure. found <laughs> that the decision... Quote, to not have children owing to fears over climate change is growing and impacting fertility rates (laughs) rates quicker than any preceding trend in the field of fertility. I met maybe this hot is lady, yeah. and do you know why I didn't have sex with her? Why? Climate change. Yeah. yeah. I mean, maybe, she, I don't know if she wanted to, but like, she was so hot. I was like, what? When maybe they're lying. Maybe they're lying. Maybe they're lying. But I, but look, I'm, I'm inclined to believe that Ezra is, in fact, getting this question. It, it sounds to me like something that's entirely possible. Um, he does quote um, a, a climate scientist, because he goes on to explain that he knows a bunch of climate scientists. And he talks to them regularly. Yeah. In the that is speeches yeah. and he and he'll hear these days none of these people are talking are on zoom <laughs> but but he's saying that he hears these kids these people have kids playing in the background yeah and he's asking them questions and one of them responds i unequivocally reject scientifically and personally the notion that children are somehow doomed to an unhappy life this is kate marvell a climate scientist at columbia um, and the piece is no, but they are doomed to an unhappy life. If the person who's having them at one point asked, "Should I have you because <laughs> of climate change?" You're probably gonna have a pretty shitty life. Well, your it doesn't seem that not. she's agonizing over yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, no, not her. Other yeah. people have. Yeah. I'm happy that Ezra is writing super reasonable columns, but let's let's allow ourselves to laugh at the framing device and at any ecosystem of human beings where this is the most asked question. Holy shit. Yeah. Holy shit. How yeah. many times? Right? We, uh, some of us live in New York. We live in the East Coast. Yeah, we yeah. talk to people. Uh-huh. We give speeches. Yeah, that doesn't yeah. come Camille, up Camille gives speeches. I, yeah, I, give, I give speeches, but it's, <laughs> but it's like at the bagel shop. I'm like, you know, when I don't, I get my order, orders wrong. Or like when my, the most common question amongst my friends is like, is that bag empty? Uh-huh. Like, yeah, no, we can get some more. Let me just call my guy. Yeah. That's, that's a question. No one's like, should I have a kid? Because it might ruin the planet, or the kid might be ruined by the planet. I don't know what the, the, well, the idea kid is going is. to ruin the planet. But like, yeah, yeah, but they might be also being born into the the fire and brimstone yes. of a destroyed planet. Yeah, it's what e- all- what, either or. Either, either or, they'll yeah. be a Captain Planet villain, <laughs> or they'll be covered in toxic sludge. What One of the are, two. What are the <laughs> questions <laughs> that we're asked? What the fuck is wrong with <laughs> right. these people? I, like, it if, sounds kind of QAnon esque. Yeah, it's QAnon. It? Like, you can be 
absolutely, and you should be concerned about the planet. If if there's a sickness that is infecting the planet, do research, get into it, be an activist. But when you're saying maybe we should stop our entire civilization to save the planet, which will then be uninhabited... (laughs) It's kind of the ultimate goal. Let's get everyone off because then nothing bad will happen to it. Folks should definitely find and read the piece because Ezra does uh, push people away from a lot of the apocalyptic ravings around climate change. You need to suggest that there isn't that there isn't a concern, but he does suggest that the worst case scenarios that many people imagined would happen um, are not going to happen. We get a shitload of email. No one's ever asked us that question. We do get some crazy questions. We get crazy questions, but it's always like, can you have my baby? And I'm like, dude, I don't know. (laughs) I don't I don't know you, but send a pic. The clip will We'll sort it out. The closing bar. Oh, go ahead. We're a pro-natalist. We are pro-natalist. We're pro-natalist. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Y'all should have some babies. Yeah. 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 In wedlock, obviously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Only in wedlock. Or not. (laughs) That's fine. Yeah, it's fine. Whatever you want to do is cool with us. As long as it's consensual. Yeah. Yeah. And if you're hot, I'm just saying. Yeah. My DMs are open. I will say, to to Ezra's (laughs) credit, the closing bars here are very nice. Then I'm going to tell him, like, baby, climate change. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the closing bars in this piece. My child, my child will live a story that I cannot write and cannot control. Okay. It will be their story. To become a parent is to feel every day the weight and the hope and the terror of that fact. I can't tell you Dude, whether it's the right choice for you. <laughs> but honestly, no climate model no. can either. Just relax. Have you some babies. Have babies. Have, have you babies. some babies. Do the fucking. They're great. Have the babies. They're pains in the asses and they're great again. And like, don't. I mean, climate change is not entering you into peop- it. You people don't know about pains in the asses. <laughs> well, I mean. It's coming. Well, maybe. Storms are coming. Well, there's. Do you ever think that maybe it's just you? Yes. <laughs> Every day. Yeah. Well, we should we should get out of here in not too long, but I did want to get to oh, at no. least one other thing oh, no. before we leave. Here, right. Thursday right. of right. this week. Here What's comes. Happening? What's Thursday up, of this week, there's going to be a prime time production. Produced by a fucking Good Morning America producer? It was some sort of cable David Walper has been the guy. <laughs> or cable or television producer. Produced by Jeff Zucker now um, that he's Don Carried on nearly every news network. Yeah. Except Fox News who's decided that they won't carry this. They're going to let Fox Business carry it instead. Yeah. Um, there is going to be a hearing from the January 6th committee. They're going to take an opportunity to try to lay out for the American people what really happened that day. And this week there's been some news. Um, one of the, the things that's broken is the Proud Boys leader, um, Enrique, Enrique, Enrique Tario. Yeah. Obviously. Yeah. White, white nationalist <laughs> group led by a black guy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm always confused by that. He, but we'll he and that. four lieutenants have been charged with seditious conspiracy. Um, and, and what this, this headline describes as the widening January 6th case. Um, the, the, Opening bar here, uh, Terrio, the former longtime chairman of the extremist group Proud Boys, was indicted on a federal charge of seditious conspiracy with four top lieutenants on Monday. The charge, the charges expand the Justice Department's allegations of organized plotting to oppose through violence the cer- certification of President Biden's election victory, culminating in the attack on the Capitol by a mob on January 6, 2021. Um, I, I did manage to get a hold of the indictment and, and kind of read through it. Um, the, this is describes a 10-count a, a superseding indictment um, return Monday morning with charges, Ontario, and s- several other people who are named here. 
um, with opposing the lawful transfer of the presidential power by force, eventually mustering and coordinating the movement of as many as 300 people around the Capitol that day. Um, you guys have been around for a while. You've seen these kind of documents generated by the Justice Department um, in different contexts. There have been some of these documents generated by the Justice Department um, with respect to January 6th. Very early on, there were promises that there would be some kind of decisions of this nature. This is kind of only the second time they've done something like this, however. Um, And the first time was with the Oath Keepers. And I believe it was just a handful of guys who all of whom it seems pled guilty and have been cooperating and sort of sharing their story. Um, in this particular case, apparently at least one of the proud boys um, is talking, who is a documentarian who had been attached to Tario. Uh, and um, there's some, some video that was also released um, in the last couple of days of him like meeting with other um, conservatives on the night before January 6th. Um, I look at this indictment and, and honestly, like I have a hard time getting particularly exercised about what I find here. They're, they are, the document goes through a lot of detail about like bullshit that he's posting on the internet. Just generally supportive of Donald Trump, skeptical about the election itself, but the details about them kind of coordinating some sort of armed insurrection like are like pretty thin it was the same way i i haven't read this uh the latest ones but i paid attention to the oath keepers seditious conspiracy ones and uh it was thin it was thin and it was like pathetic it was shambolic hey does someone know who maybe someone has a boat that we can like cross the potomac Um, cause maybe a guy's got a little, like little, uh, motorboat. Um, and it, it didn't make it seem like there was an organized, uh, effective in any way type of conspiracy. I say this with no love for any of those people and their role on that day. It seems pretty clear that they're using heavy breathing charges to try to roll up to some mythical next level and to, uh, make people who have been like trying for five, six years now, like eventually it's going to get to Trump. Really, we're going to get him this time. It's going to be the it's going to be the New York, you know, Southern District is finally going to get yeah, Trump. Yeah, it's yeah. going to be this, this, and um, and there's something unseemly about using people to roll up to the higher target that never really comes. Um, and wh- if that is indeed the motivation, I am not uh, expert enough uh, have, you know, to have looked at all of it to have a sense of this. But certainly the Oath Keepers one um, seemed like a stretch um, and uh, trying to insinuate that there was a level of planning that just was not evident. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, there's a lot of level of behavior that's awful and deserves to be punished in mm-hmm. its own way. Sure. Um, but to overcharge those people. What do we want to know? What do you want to know? Camille doesn't want to know anything, but what do you want to know? (laughs) That's not true. What do you want to know, Michael, about what happened? I want to know, like, you know, who was saying what to Trump? Was there any sense at all of coordination between the the Trump tards and the people uh, storming the Bastille? Um, Was there any kind of uh, ordering with the Capitol Police and how that go? That's basically it, right? Yeah, like, yeah. And and I and I think we know, know the answer to those the answer to a lot of these questions. And maybe look, if something good comes out of this, and some interesting data point comes out of this, it changes my mind. Then okay, then it's actually served its purpose. But 
you know, what I was concerned about from the beginning, we talked about this early and I was very skeptical of it, um, probably more so than, than most anyone. And then uh, Representative Peter Meyer came on, a uh, brilliant guy, a really, really interesting thinker. And he was like, look, no, it's has, necessary. Has he paid for the Substack, by the way? We have check. Look quickly and then I'll figure out how I'm going <laughs> to we'll edit that out. Yeah, 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 yeah. The yeah. whole brilliant thing. Because it's going to be like, what a prick. Um, uh, grocery stores, we get nothing. Come on. Can we get a, can I get a gift certificate? <laughs> to get a baguette? Uh, the thing about it is that he made a pretty compelling case. But I realized kind of today, yesterday, we were talking about they, you know, hire a, you know, big NBC news producer, morning show producer to produce yeah. this event, right? Yeah. Like it's, like it's uh, you know, battle of the network stars or something. <laughs> but it is kind of crazy. And then you're like, oh, all the skepticism I had about it was not about whether it is necessary or interesting to get to the bottom of this stuff, which it absolutely is. I just don't trust it in the hands of these people who have a very specific angle on it and what they're trying to find. They know what they're trying to find. No one's gonna, no one's mind is going to be changed, but it's not like a jury when they're like, well, I don't know. That lawyer was pretty interesting and this one's pretty interesting too. And they're making a pretty, you know, reasonable case that's casting some doubt in my previous assumptions. That's not happening for anyone. And I think that the general idea that we have about this, if there was some top-down conspiracy, we not only would have heard about it, um, it would have been leaked if we got stuff from those interviews with, uh, with uh, the president's daughter and son-in-law, for instance. Maybe there's interesting stuff, for sure. I think it's good to know these things. But at the end of the day, what you see so frequently, which is so frustrating, is to see a bunch of fucking knuckle-draggers. You're in the Oath Keepers. You're in the Oath Keepers. Seriously, you're in the Oath Keepers? You're in a militia and you are you live with your like 600 pound wife and like a ranch house and like now you're a fucking revolutionary. These people have been cosplaying for years. They're stupid. They can be very dangerous if they are in the right situation. This was a terrible day in American history. I think that's undeniable. The president absolutely has tried in every possible way, the former president, to overturn the results of the, uh, of the election. He was stopped in, at every possible turn by Republicans, by people that knew better, and by mm -hmm. a system that was pretty robust, uh -huh. right? And, and prevented that from happening. Do we need to find out how all this stuff happened and why this person, uh, uh, you know, not why this person did this, but how the whole thing played out. Yeah, it didn't work, number one, and it didn't even come close to working, number two. And we'll find out some interesting stuff. But Enrique Torrio is a fucking clown. That's a dead end. It's a dead end. He's a bozo, he's a clown, and if he did stuff that, that you know, demands he be in jail, great. And I will, you know, remember that day when this happened and I said that very day. Put a lot of people in jail. Put a lot yeah. of fucking yeah, yeah, people yeah. in jail and I think they should all go to jail. And that has happened. And I'm satisfied with that. But I don't want to pretend that we live in some sort of, you know, Chilean banana republic in 1973 in which, you know, some, you know, there's going to be, you know, a coup and it's just absurd, the heavy breathing on this. But yes, more information is always good. I just don't trust these people to be the ones that actually provide that information because they have a goal. And the goal is not truth. In Terrio's case in particular, it's, it's a bit odd. I mean, it, you'll remember that there had been a couple of different events where Proud Boys were descending on D.C. Yeah, yeah. for these Stop the Steal rallies. Yeah, sure. And they, they were getting their asses beat, like, 
because they were get tussling with with left wing people. One of them managed to get himself stabbed. Yeah. Um, and in those God, earlier in those earlier events, one of those days, um, Enrique steals a Black Lives Matter sign from in front of a church, and he sets this sign on fire and ends up getting arrested for it. Yes. And in the day the day before the rally, he gets released by the D.C. police and they tell him to get out of D.C. Mm -hmm. and not to come back because they do not want him at the rally the next day. He's not there on the 6th. He's, oh, he in, wasn't. he's in Baltimore. That's, that's a deal. He's in Baltimore, and he's on video, and he's yeah. talking to this documentary. There's no better video that was released. Sent to Baltimore. <laughs> well, he didn't. He, he didn't get sent there. He he's, <laughs> he's he exiled himself to Baltimore, but he's on video, and he's saying, "Look, I don't." They're saying, "What is it? Only 24 hours? You could probably come. You can come. I don't want to mess around with that. I don't want to test it." And he ends up meeting, and we see this video of him meeting with the Oath Keepers and some other conservatives and their lawyers. And it seems like he's talking about his own case. It's, it, it beggars belief for me to believe that this same guy who's trying to avoid getting in trouble by breaking the rules and being in D.C. on the 6th was knowingly, wittingly, in a very sophisticated, diabolical way, like plotting to overthrow the government of the United States the very next day. And... He just he wouldn't even show up in D.C. because he was afraid he might get in trouble. Maybe it is, it maybe it's a, a cover, <laughs> yeah. but it sounds ridiculous because yeah. it is ridiculous. The actual details of like the, the tweets and the messages that they're sending back and forth and the, the, the indictment continues to mention that mention that they're using encrypted messaging services. Yeah, that's but that's, they actually have messages encrypted. Now. Yeah, signal. <laughs> and, but they have the messages in many yeah, instances. Yeah, yeah, they yeah, have yeah. Witnesses the only thing you do is get talking. somebody's phone. Encrypted means you can't capture it in the air. But it's just <laughs> you're just getting somebody's just, phone. And... It's so yeah, yeah. It's just it's it's annoying. And Look, when I, I think one of the things I, I think yeah. like Liz Liz Cheney, I I think it is absolutely ridiculous that Republicans have sanctioned her for participating it's, in the January sixth committee. Like it's shameful. At the same time, when I hear her describe what what they're the work that they're doing and saying that with respect to what she's learned, what surprised her most. Um, is that the scope and expanse of this multi-pronged, broad, and well-organized conspiracy? Like, there's just no evidence thus far. I mean, that this maybe is what we're looking they've at. They've been hiding it, and they're gonna like roll it out. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep my heart open. But I mean, Donald, I mean, I think that one hand's right. Like, it's that's a yeah. weird thing and it's unusual thing. for Washington to yeah. sit on that and then like unveil it in the primetime thing that. Everybody is watching. I hope you can all hear my ear, air quotes there. Like, I'm going to take the over on Fox News ratings <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. on Thursday. Um, like, I, I, who's, who's on at eight? Is Tucker on at eight? Are you yeah, gonna, Tucker's on at eight. Are you guys going to watch this? I mean, I have no, to. No, yeah. I'll watch clips. I'm going to watch it. I mean, it, it, I'll watch clips. Look, I, I, what we know time to be is true. a scarce fucking resource. <laughs> what we know to be true is bad enough. Donald Trump wanted this to happen. He was perfectly happy that this, people this, marched this up into the Capitol. Didn't fucking stop. Didn't it, even stop it. Everybody didn't around him. Were like, people were like, "You got to stop this." His own family, Mark no. Meadows, are like, "You got to fucking stop this." Mike Pence, etc. And You're like, insane. He's a psycho, and he, you know, this is somebody who, you know, got like didn't understand. I mean, he did understand it later, but didn't understand that you indulge all of the crazies. 
and it's going to stick to you like napalm. Like he went on Alex Jones's show and say, Alex, we love you. We love you. He had probably no idea who Alex Jones was, you know, beyond like knowing he's like a conservative guy who's supporting him. Yeah. Or, or not, because Donald Trump appears to be a legit conspiracy theorist. He's a conspiracy theorist. <laughs> like so he probably, he probably did know that. Yeah. yeah. But that was the thing. Like never, ever denounce somebody who said something nice about you, which mm-hmm. is, you know, Kim Jong-un. He would cozy. Like, oh, he's on our side. Little rocket man to my best friend. He wrote me beautiful letters. To, to Putin, there was not a conspiracy. Putin just knew how to stroke his ego. It's so simple. It's not complicated. And these people are on his side. They're Donald Trump's, you know, they're the Praetorian guard of Trumpism and MAGA and they're going to the Capitol. There's no way he's going to stop them. And he wants wants them to do what they're planning on doing anyway. And he's threatening Mike Pence, his fucking vice president, who had stood by his side through all of this garbage for four years. And who we just found out his security staff and, and intimate staff are like, we're kind of worried about him. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a, that's, that's, a, that's, that's, a, that's, that's, that's crazy places, man. That's crazy. This was a crazy presidency mm-hmm. and a crazy president in the man that that call to Georgia is all you need to know of like, find the votes. I have heard people spin this so many ways. There is no way to spin it. It is find the votes, make me win the state of Georgia, period, full stop. If you think something else, you're a fucking moron and you're blinded by partisanship because we know what he's intending here. So when they say like, go, go up to the hill and stop the process, the certification. Yeah, of course he wants that. And of course that's horrible. And of course he should never be able to run for president ever again. It's awful, it's awful, it's awful. But this thing that we're seeing in prime time, you know, I think there's a halftime, I think R. Kelly's performing <laughs> from jail, which I thought was a weird decision, but fine, you know? Yeah. You know, do you have your passport? <laughs> and uh, you get your he's going to get his passport revoked. <laughs> it is crazy, right? I mean, it's like you can take a thing that is so obviously bad and just make it like a nonsense partisan. It's not a witch hunt because there are witches, right? That's not, it's not fake. But you can you can turn this into something that is not worth paying attention to because I don't believe that they're after what I want them to be after, which is a greater truth than not, you know, a prosecution of somebody that was previously the president who sucks. Can I share with you some news? Yeah. Go for it. Text from Nancy Rollman on the ground, San uh-huh. Francisco. Uh-huh. Yes on H passes. Boot in out. Wow. Is that we we know that for a fact? That's so uh, wow. she's uh, Let's go to SF Gate. This is yeah, yeah. Rommel video. Yeah. Okay, well, let me read you the, the main headline on SF Gate, which is the San Francisco Chronicles website. I'm going to read that main headline here. Bay Area Bakery rethinks trademark to popular <laughs> muffin after backlash. That's truly the main headline I, right I, now. I read that story yeah, earlier. That's incredible. <laughs> literally... On uh, top of it, what does Drudge say? Oh, wow. Sorry, what? They, wow, actually, in their live stream, this is not fucking around from the Chronicle here. Their little live stream thing. Budin, uh, Budin, Budin getting annihilated in San Francisco <laughs> recall results. Wow. San Francisco Chronicle. Wow. Annihilated. annihilated. Wow. And that is the thing that communist countries did to their population that his parents supported, the annihilation. <laughs> so anni- he, their annihilation of Cambodians, et cetera. Incoming after San Francisco polls closed, and there's a picture of him, you know, touching his, his beard. Goatee thing. All right. That looks bad for him. Do they have, like, numbers? Annihilation. It's pretty. No, it literally just says annihilated. That's 
Uh, it'll likely get recalled. Totalized. The margin of defeat w- was anywhere from 10 to 36 percentage points. So um, mm. it's not going to fix San Francisco, but it's not going to make it worse. <laughs> That's which is hard to do these days. I mean, one question that I have, Matt, is, I mean, we're, we're people who have supported a lot of criminal justice reform efforts and yeah. actually applaud a lot of the things that um, some of these progressive prosecutors are interested in doing in terms of bail reform, et cetera, et cetera. Um, what do you think, is this a setback for criminal justice reform advocates, seeing someone like this take the blame in full for all of the dysfunctions in in California and San Francisco in particular. Although I mean, the the district attorney of California was recently sued by some of his comrades for being unwilling to prosecute particular kinds of cases in the state. Of, I, I'm yeah, unaware like, of that. Like the three the streets uh, three strikes cases, for example. It's hard at any uh, time of the day. Um, yeah, it's it's late. Um, I have been wrestling with this question for a while now. I think one of the things about this sort of uh, wave of progressive DAs that were elected in the last four or five years, a lot with George Soros money, this is not a conspiracy. This is actually like where he put his energies into um, because the usual template for people who are excited about electing district's attorneys is that – you just go for the biggest cop who's going to arrest the most people. That's mm-hmm. like what that's you know, look at Bakersfield, California and the history of their DAs there. It is an absolute shit show uh, and has been um, for a really long time. So this was supposed to be this sort of new vanguard thing is think about this in terms of like a management theory. Um, if you're going to be the new person with the weird ideas, right? Like think about the money ball as a movie or a book, like you're going to be the first weird dude Um you're going to have to have a different type of shoulder that goes through the door. Um, either you're going to be more of an asshole or you're going to have some kind of gilded tongue that allows you to introduce people to uncomfortable new modes of thinking. And I've been really struck by how particularly uh, Boudin and uh, the dude in, uh, in uh, Philadelphia, what's his name? Vassar, I forget. Oh, um, yeah, uh, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, Krasner. Uh, Krasner, yeah. Um, uh, like, you know, the, people would go to Krasner a few months back and say, hey, look, you know, 2021 was the biggest year for murdering in Philadelphia, uh, either in history or for a long time. It's like, well, we don't have a murder problem. We have, a, you know, a, an over, over-incarceration problem. Like, he would deny the thing in front of him. That's not how you, as a reformer, are going to affect change. You have to acknowledge that you're different, that you're doing things in a different way. And if you're going to do that, you either have to like beat people into shape, all the people that work for you or around you, um, and just have those uh, sets of political skills. Or, um, you know, especially if, if you're a DA, you're over a, a police force, uh, you have to figure out a way to talk to those people. And if you have neither of those things, if you have neither the, the, the kind of force of will to push through reforms and to figure out a few and co-opt a few key allies and do that kind of stuff, or have this really great way of talking about it um, and instead like just fall back on sloganeering. Mm-hmm. And a lot of these people do that. We can't arrest our way out of this problem. Right. How many times has Chase has said, said yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um, on one level, he's kind of 
that's a that's a point to be made. But also, you're the DA here right. in charge of arrests, right? Like, um, so like you're not a, in charge of everything else in society that contributes to the problem. You're in charge of figuring out what is the prioritization of arrests. And when London Breed, the mayor, says Tenderloin is a shit show, we have to do something about it, and you say we can't arrest our way out of this problem, um, you're not going to get political support in a city where the people have a sense, a tangible sense, like they do in New York right now, of like, it's just not the same as it was a couple of years ago. But, but there's a sense in which he's he's not wrong about this either. You really can't arrest your way out, out of that problem with the te- in the Tenderloin. Correct. Like they, they've got shitty housing policy. It's it's something that is built up over over many, many, many administrations. There, there's plenty of blame to go around and lots of people ought to get fired. Right. But also, like, you have, uh, you have a discrete set of... I have a discrete set of skills here, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And, and so, and and priorities. And you could say, I want to prioritize this instead of that. That's an argument you can make. Yeah. Uh, but to catastrophize everything, like, ah, you know what? People shooting up on the street, look, we're just not going to do it. He arrested three people on, like, drug, you know, trafficking yeah. in 2021. Three people. I think drugs should be legal. So, like, I'm not too bent out of shape about that. At the same time, people are shooting up on the streets, nodding off like crazy in parts of San Francisco, not the whole place. And I mean, just like in New York on, on in Bryant uh, uh, Park, unfortunately, there's just like a whole like junkies row mm-hmm. sort of twitching and, and shooting up. That's not good for anybody. Yeah. My daughter who's 13 can go near junkies row. I don't want her to like, that's a bad thing. And there's a, there's a sense in which uh, a lot of places in California and uh, on the coasts, have kind of like shrugged and given up at public displays of dysfunction. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of those are uh, uh, prosecutorial discretion cases. Right. And to say we can't, you know, we can't use any of that to solve this problem while, you know, CVSs are being ransacked and people are twitching on the streets and shitting and stuff like it, that there's, causes people to have a negative reaction. And that's that's actually a legitimate point of differentiation as well. I mean, to, to the extent we're talking about, you know, drugs in particular and prosecuting people who are uh, drug addicted or using and throwing them in cages, that's one thing. But deciding that you're not really going to prosecute property crimes, for example, like people breaking into folks' homes or just shoplifting en masse, um, and creating a kind of culture and climate of lawlessness in that specific regard, it's something that appropriately, I think, incenses like libertarian folks who, again, are generally in favor of criminal justice reform, who are generally not inclined to see a bunch of people like locked away, but who also believe in property rights. Yeah, I don't think people ought to ought to have their shit stolen and have zero recourse whatsoever. And, and to the extent that there is going to be policing at all, to the extent anything is going to be done, like prosecuting things like violent crime and having like clearance rates that are respectable and pro- prosecuting property crime, like actually giving people the confidence to know that, that if they call law enforcement, um, someone might actually show up and have a legitimate interest in solving the crime. I, one of the things that Boudin has done uh, over the course of the, 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 his very brief tenure was talk often about how, you know, we're getting this wrong. I mean, people aren't even like calling and reporting crimes all that frequently compared to, you know, my predecessors. Well, yeah, people just stop trying. Stop trying. Yeah. They stop trying. 
And it, maybe some, I mean, maybe the cops did like a sit on their hands thing because they're undoubtedly, undoubtedly, sure. And yes, it was Roland Fryer today who was talking about the blue flu actually. And he's getting, you know, he's getting part of the blame for stuff that's definitely outside of his purview and didn't necessarily write out the laws. But there's just something, and this is, you know, beyond him, beyond that city, um, when you think that it's okay for people to pitch tents on a sidewalk in front of a business. In front of City Hall. In front of City Hall. <laughs> yeah, and mass, sell mass, drugs mass, oh, yeah. and poop. And, and you spend like $50,000 per, per person for a year during COVID. That's how they were dealing with the homelessness problem. And it like, it, it just feels like, no, you've just got this wrong. Yeah. And that was the thing that was struck home covering the, the school district recall too, whose officials were so incredibly corrupt. It just defies all human descriptions. Like I, I find them much worse than Boudin. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, but like at some point, uh, these sort of one party state cities, the way that they're run, like it just, you've, you've lost your ability. We have to take the keys away from you. It's just not working. The timing of it is something that we can't ignore too, is that at the, on the other side of the defund the police movement, which wasn't so much of a movement with any coherent set of ideas and strategies. It was a slogan Mm -hmm. that was repeated enough times that people were like, this is crazy. Like a majority of the people that I ever spoke to left, right and center. I said, this is kind of crazy. And on the other side of you go to a place like San Francisco and you see this general lawlessness that you didn't see 20 years ago, 10 years ago. And you see somebody like Chesa Boudin, who's of that ilk. He is in that kind of firmament of people who agree with general ideas like defund the police. And you're going to get the lash you're going to get, you know, trounced as the San Francisco Chronicle has just said that he has been trounced. That is a lot of things. You're going to get blamed for everything because you're getting blamed for a moment. You're getting blamed for a feeling, for an idea. And it's not necessarily the things that you're responsible for. We don't want people like this, you know, to be the person prosecuting crimes in our city or not prosecuting them. Because a lot of them, and there's a lot of examples that were people were bringing up that were anti, the anti-Boudin, um, segment of the population saying like, look, there was this one, uh, I think cab driver was beaten with a pipe and beaten, you know, almost to death. And the guy was basically let off and the, the, the crime was re was recategorized and just these kind of things that people get upset about for, for good reason. Right. And then they see it in this moment and say, yeah, we need generally as a country, as a city, as a state to push back against this stuff and say, we're not okay with someone kneeling on George Floyd's neck until he no longer can breathe. But we're also, this is not a binary choice that there's cops or there's no cops. Right. And we're on the side that, you know, maybe we need some cops here that can do the job of cleaning up the city and not actually ignoring. I mean, you know, I remember that time, I think I talked to this one time on the show when I was, I was shooting in San Francisco and I woke up really early, time change, and I was up at like 6 a.m. And I went for a run and I went, down Market Street because it was like where they put your fucking hotel every time. He's like, oh, Market Street, that's where the hotels are. And it was, you know, the thriller video. It was dodging people. Then I actually mentioned this one time. There was a guy shooting up who in the most San Francisco thing ever, it's actually a true story, had tied off his arm uh, to shoot himself up with uh, 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 old iPhone headphones. 
the white. That's pretty had, good. It was like, this is like a wonderful so San Francisco thing. He's like, I got these old earbuds. I'm yeah. just going to tie them off here. And then I, they probably didn't work. And I don't think he had a phone. <laughs> but he did have heroin. And I'm like <laughs> running through all of this being like, you know, <laughs> this is not, oh, card full. Yeah, San Francisco's a fucking dump. <laughs> <laughs> So we had a card full error as we, because everything sucks these days. And uh, I was in the middle of something and I realized like, you can just sum it up. Just say like, yeah. love the city, kind of a shithole these days. So yeah. bye-bye, Chaser. So maybe we should go. Yeah, we should, we should wrap this up. We've done a lot. Um, do it, Camille. We filled a card. Get together again Camille. soon. No, no, French goodbyes. Yeah. Not, no, oh, we're going to go. All right, bye. All right, bye. 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 We, we, we know of new methods of attack. The Trojan horse. Follow.